0: Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC.
1: The Queen will mark 175 years since Queen Victoria became the first British monarch to travel by rail later, by making the same journey. She and the Duke of Edinburgh will board a new GWR Intercity Express train from Slough to London Paddington. Poor Queen from Slough. Honestly, they'll have to tart Slough up for the day, won't they, really? How much is a taxi from Warren Street to Waterloo Station? I defy you to take a guess on that one. Actually, it's not quite as bad as you probably think it is. Uh, Also, I love the story the other day. Love the story about the cyclist who was cut up by a bloke pulling a caravan. Okay. So, and it clips the cyclist. And he's an old He's not a young cyclist. He's sort of a a moderately old sort of person. Anyway, the next set of traffic lights, the cyclist, because you know where you've got the car and the caravan? There's a tow bar. On the tow bar, there's a handle. That's the brake. He turns the brake on. So when the lights change to green, the driver can't go anywhere. His wheels are spinning. He can't understand what it is. So he gets out of the car it took the best part of 40 minutes, I think, before somebody twigged the brake was on. <laughs> How dumb are caravanners? Yes, they're not the brake. You'd have thought that would have been the first thing that would have struck my mind. Somebody's put the brake on and it was a cyclist. He said, I stood there watching it, he said, and I laughed. I thought, I mean, it's, it's one way of retaliating, isn't it, really, I suppose. Uh, Prince Harry and Love Island kissin' Hell. Actually, he's not in it, but one of his ex-so-called girlfriends. It's amazing how many people have been out with Prince Harry. I'm surprised you don't know somebody yourself, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Quids in with a poker face, Lady Gaga soars up the rich list. Also, the... You remember the passengers I told you about the other day? They were indulging in what's commonly known as the Mile High Club. Uh, It involves having sex at altitude. And and they romped on a Ryanair flight. Probably has gone right off, I think, Ryanair. But uh, anyway, it turns out he has a fiancé who's pregnant... (laughs) How funny is that? I hope she kicks him out. I hope she kicks him out, but it would be a little bit of a shame because we've got another single mother dragging herself around. Not so good. Uh, David Beckham has urged his son Brooklyn to go with his gut in his quest to become a photographer. I mean, I've lost track of the amount of times we've seen Brooklyn out there taking pictures and sort of, you know, nothing. Never seen anything like that at all. But he's bringing a book out. Another member of the talented Brooklyn family. I mean, they seriously are amazed. Amazing, aren't they, really? Uh, The Queen's speech has been delayed... I mean, it's not her speech. Somebody writes it for her. Ministers write it. And then she just, "Mm," and she reads it out to them. And that's it. Uh, Bobby's on the beaten cheap petrol. In the good old days, life really was good. I was speaking to a friend of mine. And I said, I know somebody who's going to move into this flat in London. And it's 700 quid a month. So there's two of them. So that's 1,400 pounds a month. 700 pounds per room. And this friend of mine is in Manchester. And he pays, uh, and I think there's three of them in a house, 400 quid a month. In Manchester Manchester being proportionately cheaper than London and this is a nice house with a garden he's got en suite en suite if you say en suite to somebody in London and they're in a tower block it generally means somebody's put a word that's original on the balcony that's what an en suite is but in Manchester, you get a lot more for 400 quid a month, and I said 700 in London. I said, and not even for a particularly good area. And he went, God, that's a fortune. I said, but that's what people do now. That's what people are doing. They're buying to rent out because there's a huge rental market. People always need. Whereas if I won loads of money, I would buy a big place and just let people just move into it. You know, well, I'd charge them a little bit. But, you know, as long as you've got the right people in there, that, that'd, be, that'd be the good thing, wouldn't it? Um, Katy Perry lists her best lovers. little bit tacky. Um, unfortunately, uh, Russell Brand isn't on the list. But there again, I never thought he would be. Actually, he wasn't particularly brilliant in that. And the woman who fought off, a, who fought off abusive travellers who were trying to break onto private property by breaking a gate open, and she clung on. They abused her. They spat at her. She lost her false teeth at one point, but she clung on till the police arrived. And uh, and the travellers, hot-footed. I mean, women were abusing her. Men were abusing this old woman. That disgusting, really, bringing shame on the traveller community, who, of course, generally have such a good rapport with the, uh, with the public. But in this particular case, they didn't. They didn't at all. Also, the social media bullies who drove a very gifted pupil to jump to his death from a car park. He'd met Prince Harry. He was only young. And uh, at school, he was good. And you know that if you do well at school, there's going to be some people in the class, the thick ones, who don't like you. You know they're going to go. Oh, you're real SWAT, aren't you? You're real this. We're real, real clever clogs and all the rest of it. You know, sort of. They, they're they're sort of internet trolls, but they're too stupid to realise that they are in fact trolls. And uh, this this particular boy was getting it when he when he left school, he was getting it because other people then jumped on the bandwagon without knowing him, and because he was gifted, he was very good. In the end, he'd had enough. He told his friends that he just he couldn't take any more which makes you wonder just how bad it was. He had reported this to the school, who did bugger all, ladies and gentlemen. I hate to use that expression, but when a young man tells people, and people are aware of it in school, and then he takes his own life, the school, as far as I'm concerned, need to pull their blummin' fingers out and do something about it, because there's too many of these things happening. He was 14. 14 years old. His parents didn't really know what was going on, but his school friends did, because they knew the people who were bullying him. These people should be dragged into court. As far as I'm concerned, they were complicit in his murder. And I call it murder. I know he died, but people tried to revive him on the ground, but he fell way too far and he was far too damaged and he died. But uh, the people who, who who troll should be caught, but apparently they can't. They can't find these ones because there's some something that they've done. It's an encryption or something. I don't even know what that means. It obviously means that they've hidden behind it. These people, you should put them in court. We had it before, didn't we, with a girl who'd, who'd uh, committed suicide, and these trolls then targeted her parents. Targeted a parent? I mean, you know, know, and when a young boy is so depressed that at 14 he takes his own life, you know, somebody's got to hold their hands up and go, we failed because we're just failing all the way down the line. It just it can't. I mean, I can sit here and say to you, it'll it, it should never happen again. Well, you know, blow me fairy rings. I'm telling you, it'll happen again. It's like saying, you know, London Bridge. It can never happen again. It will happen again. I can you know you can guarantee certain things are gonna happen in life, and one will be school children bullied. Everybody, I think, to be honest with you, everybody was bullied at school, either too fat, too thin, too clever, sticky out ears, parents haven't got any money, free school lunch. There'd be a whole cast list of things. It's whether you turn round to them and you give them a tongue lashing, which I was very good at doing, believe you me, from a very early age, I could lash somebody with a tongue. <laughs> quite easily. Didn't take too much. Didn't take too much. And they backed down very quickly. So I didn't get bullied. It might have started on a couple of th- but that's just general kids being horrible to other kids. You know, can I play football with you? No. Why not? Well, we don't want you playing football. Well, I'm taking my ball away then. Go play with somebody else's, you know. And all of a sudden people want to be your friend because the people who are the bullies are generally the ones who are bullied themselves. They just sort of are doing a bit of retaliation. So always very interesting, but it, it will happen again. And more parents have to sit down and try and work out why it was their, their son or daughter didn't have the, uh, the, uh, the guts to go to them and say, listen, this is happening to me at school. Because parents and children don't talk. Parents don't have any idea what their kids get up to. Watching pornography in their bedroom. Not my child. Yeah, yeah your child. You know, people don't realise. I remember talking to a woman years ago on LBC and, uh, and and she said, I know where my daughter is all the time. I said, you might think you do. I said, I promise you, you don't. No, I know my daughter. No, you don't. I promise you, don't. there's a girl in the paper today. I showed a picture of her to my producer and um, I said, how old is she? He said, 18, 14, I said. And she's just died of a drugs overdose. I mean, these kids need support. We've got kids' line and stuff like that. But, you know, family, friends, school, government. I mean, somewhere along the line, it's falling down, isn't it? You know, as far as... The trouble is, what do you do? All right, you're at school. Say you're a shy person. Say you're, you know, sort of the weedy one in, in the class and somebody starts picking on you because they know that you've got sweets or they know you've got money. And so they go, give... give it. It's like being mugged, isn't it? Give us the money. And uh, you get, no, give us the money. So two of their friends hold you down, they take the money. What do you do? Do you go to your school teacher and you say, "Listen, they've just stolen my money," because you know that when you walk outside the school gates, they're going to be waiting for you. It's a no-win situation. The schools are powerless to act. You know, teachers themselves get bullied. Headmasters, you know, probably get bullied from the teachers who are getting bullied by the kids. Because apart from all the, uh, apart from all, the... I mean, it goes back years. If you watch the the film "To Sir with Love." You've got the school children there, all, all of whom were sort of older but playing younger, going, oh, my friend fancies you, sir. And he go, yeah, very nice. No, she really wants to go out with you. And you think, nowadays they do that. And if the, if the, if the teacher says, listen, don't, don't be ridiculous, they then make things up. We've had loads of cases of schoolgirls making up, you know, that, uh, that, the head, that, the, that the teacher came on to me and all that kind of thing. And you think, a load of it is just a load of old spherical objects, ladies and gentlemen. It's just made up just made up because of an inadequacy in the particular person. And so in the particular case of all these kids, you know, when, when a kid is going to go that far as to actually get onto the roof of a supermarket and throw themselves off it, I mean, things have got to change. But they won't. They won't. I could be sitting here in five years' time telling you another child has thrown themselves off a building, another child has been attacked in the street. How many times have I even forgotten about the knife crime in London? I've even forgotten about, you know, kids and gangs. Gangs! Dear God, what have we come to? Gangs in London. Must be parents who probably do what I do. You sit there and you listen to kids at bus stops. The filth that emanates from their mouths. Seriously. Parents have got a lot to learn nowadays, but then you look at the parents and you think, well, you're the same sort of people, aren't you? You're exactly the sort of people. Your children are emulating you. That's why you get badly behaved kids. They've got a programme on the television coming up. I think it's kids who murder. Kids who murder. There was one the other day, you know, it was uh, it was one of these cases. And you think, how could they? I mean, I just don't even understand how you get into that situation. Drugs. The 14 year old girl who died, it was a drugs overdose at 14. I didn't you know, I was only just getting into Sherbet Fountains and pear drops at 14. The very idea that people would do drugs. We used to joke about drugs. We used to go, ooh, you know, smoke a cigarette. You know, smoking a cigarette was pretty risky. Not anymore. By God, I tell you, they just go and get them from the corner shops, don't they? They get their booze. They get their fags. People sell it to anybody nowadays. Uh, The new wonder drug for diabetes. I like this. I like this. It's on trial in Australia. They're hoping to get it um, passed by the NHS because it's a drug that not only acts as an appetite suppressant, which means you can lose weight, but it also changes your sugar levels. And it's about pound thirty a tablet, which in, in terms of what it could do and how much money it could save the NHS is actually really good value. I'd love to try it. I'd love to try it. it sounds fantastic. I want to put, put my name down for it straight away. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, also, we got some reasons for you to be cheerful this summer. It's not all doom, gloom and despondency. It's, uh, there are happy things. What did we do last time, Julian? When the door here, because it's open, this door is open all the time, who'd, who resets this door? Is it security? Right. You have reported it. Right. We haven't. We haven't reported it. Tell them all the way. I don't think he knows how to reset it. How do they reset this secure door? All right. okay. There's a little key. Who's got the key? Not a clue. I'm vulnerable in my box. Somebody could just open that door now. Like the other day, the cleaner nearly walked in. What is it about a red light, dear? You're not kind of understanding here. Perhaps we need to explain to people it's a red light. That means danger. You can't just walk in, you know, and and walk through. But the the door has been two days now. I've been vulnerable here. Luckily, I am armed with a machine gun and a dog. And uh, anybody sets foot in the studio? Big troubles, big troubles. Uh, so what was the other one? Oh, I, I did like the story about the, the dating app from Paul O'Grady. That's why we've got blind dates. It's people who cannot find a date. In this day and age, you would have thought it would be, in London, you would have thought it would have been the easiest thing in the world, wouldn't you, to find a date. No, you can find a one-night stand. One-night stands are easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. If you've only got to walk outside the door, you can find no end of one-night stands. Admittedly, you don't need to know their name or anything like that. You don't need to buy them a drink or anything. It's just people who are available. If you're looking for something a bit more serious, nobody's interested. People do not want... Sorry, you're looking for what? Well, I'm looking maybe to get married very shortly. (laughs) I don't think so. Who wants somebody like that? Don't want to be saddled with somebody who's going to be clingy. You know, you're on your second date and they start producing the pro catalogue. You know, a veil would be nice. Veil? Maybe full-length skirt? What do you think the bridesmaids could wear? What? and he just met you. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure we do. I'm sure we do. But it's difficult. I mean, if, if, if you just want S-E-X, you know, you've, you've only got to go on to Tinder, I believe. I think there's one for gay men called Gr- Grin Grins, Grinder. 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 And uh, and, you can, and you can find somebody just, just for sex. But to be honest with you, if you're looking for a conversation and maybe sort of a meal at a harvester or, uh, or a Nando's or something like that, you're barking up the wrong tree. This is London. Nobody wants relationships. Seriously, relationships are something you find on a reality show. That's, that's where you have to go. If you want to find a relationship, go on something like Love Island. You'll find no end of people willing to sleep with you. You know, they'll, they'll profess undying love. They will tell you how much they adore you, how much it's this and how much that, and then they'll sell the story to the papers. You cannot find love in London. It's very difficult. So what do people do? They sort of, they go out, they stand in a bar. And then within about three months, they've turned into an alcoholic, and nobody wants them anyway, because you're useless to somebody, aren't you? If you've had a few sort of bevies or something, and you go, "We'd like, we'd like to come back to my place," just for you about to throw up over their new shoes, and uh, and they go, Where "Whereabouts you live?" Uh, Surrey Keys, where? Surrey Keys. Oh, is, is is that quite posh? No, you know, and that's and and that, so you end up. Okay, uh, see you. Uh, Shall I see you tomorrow? I'm busy. I remember years and years ago, I came up to London, <laughs> very naive, and my friend Rick was a local DJ, and he was very, very successful with the ladies because everybody wanted to know the DJ. So we come up to London and we go to this uh, this club in Richmond. There's three of us. And uh, I'm sort of standing there feeling like the spare part. And Rick says, look, there's three girls over there. Should we go and have a dance with them? I mean, it was that naff. And so I said, yeah, OK. Thinking, I don't know what God's name I'm doing. So he goes over to this, to this girl and says, do you want to dance? And so she goes, yeah, why?" Right. So they go off for a dance. My other mate, Simon, starts dancing with the other girls. So I said to this other girl, being the last prune standing, I said, um, want to dance? And she went, no, I've hurt my foot. And I went, OK. So I wandered off. I went and sat in the corner, nursing a small ginger beer. And, uh, and then I looked round, and she was dancing with somebody else, and I thought, that's called rejection. That's called real rejection. Do you want to dance with me? No, you're too naff even to have a dance with. You know, and then of course the other the other problem is if you can't dance you've had it. In the early days you could sort of dance together as a twosome. Nowadays it's all flailing your arms around and sort of you know doing the military two-step kind of thing. So if you can't dance you're at a, you're at a, and of course we know that William can't dance. Prince William is not a dancer. He's embarrassing dad. But of course you never thought you reckon Harry could probably th- throw a few shapes around but uh, but William absolutely not a cat in hell's chance.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. I love
1: the way that uh, the Queen's speech is delayed. So you say to somebody in authority, um, so the, the Queen's speech is delayed. Oh, I couldn't possibly comment. You think, do you know? Or are you just fobbing people off? Or are you really, you know, that's um, it's quite, oh, I've just got some gossip for you, but I just realised I can't tell you. I can't tell you what it is, actually. I'd love to tell you. I'd love to tell you. I thought, isn't that terrible? Somebody says that on the radio and they go, I've got something to tell you. And you go, come on, tell us. And you go, I can't tell you. I've just realised I can't tell you this. It's such a good bit of gossip, but I really can't tell you. I really, I really want to tell you. I'm itching to tell you. Well, I'm not necessarily itching, but uh, I'm sort of burning it, but I can't tell you. Mainly because it wouldn't mean much to a lot of you, but round here it would mean an awful lot. <laughs> anyway, I work for an airline, Steve. Uh, mum gets on board with a T-shirt that says, if you think I'm fit, look at my daughter. So I glanced across at the 11-year-old made up to look like an 18-year-old. I know, I mean, I find that deeply disturbing don't you? I mean, I, I would be fairly worried by things like that. But the but these are people, they are, they're sort of second-class citizens. They don't even fit into the real world. They don't. Um, Marks thinks, how can people meet in pubs if most of them have closed down? I might have done in your area, pal. We've got loads around London. You can't move. There's new bars opening every day in London. In fact, I don't think in London, in London, centre of London, we don't have any pubs that have closed down. There's one round the corner from here. They're flooding onto the pavements every night of the week. Huge. So, and also, you're a bit old for that kind of thing, Mark, so it's no good trying to lump yourself in the category of somebody who stands a chance. OK? You know, much easier. Now, cameras say 20 a week close, across, but that's across the UK. In certain parts of London, which have probably got sort of a high uh, ethnic uh, percentage of people living there, they might not drink due to religious reasons, although I'm led to believe quite a few people do actually drink, but they just don't do it in pubs. You know, people prefer to drink at home or round our way in parks, but, you know, it's mainly people don't want to sit in a pub anymore because the pub isn't offering them anything that they can't get anywhere else. And it's really expensive. Really, really expensive. But, you know, you, you go and sit in a pub. Around our way, we've we've got some, some nice pubs, but there are a couple of pubs. They're not offering me anything apart from a table and a chair. Well, I've got that at home. Don't need to go and sit in a bar and also... You know, you only go into a bar if you know people in it and then you chat to somebody and then you sit outside or you've got the river going past, that sort of thing. But they don't offer enough in pubs nowadays. I don't really want, you know, I'm, I'm not bothered about whether they offer food or if it's a gastro pub. But, you know, five five quid a pint round the London way. I mean, a, and a glass of wine is about £3.50 now. You know, I mean, practically you can get a bottle for that sort of price. I understand people have to make a profit. I understand exactly how that uh, how that works. But I'm sort of, I'm very interested in why pubs don't work, because they're not offering anything. Normally, you get the host, the landlord, who'd stand there chatting. Hello, evening, gents. You know, usual, Steve. Blah blah. And so it goes on. And you go, yes, that's what I expect when I go into a pub. If you walk into a pub and there's a bored person standing behind the bar, who you feel like going, whistling. Usually, Australia. You get a lot of Australians, and you and you sort of go, um, hello. Um, I want to say, am I invisible? Because they, they'll be chatting away to somebody and you're sort of standing there. I was always taught years ago when I worked in retail that the moment somebody walks into your department or onto your bit of floor, you're over there like a shot. Hello, good morning. Make them feel welcome. You know, can I help you with anything? No, we're just browsing. Anything in particular? You know, and then you, and you sort of, you guide them into the area because that's what you do. You're a salesperson. You're supposed to sell things. In a bar, you've gone in there for a drink. You've not gone in there unless you want to go and use the toilet facilities. You go in there for a drink. And the person behind the bar, they generally look bored. And, you know, and if you said to one of them, I'm sorry, am I invisible here? There's nobody else in this bar and you've got your back to me. Shouldn't you have you really, your face, your fizzog, staring at the door? The moment the door opens, perhaps we should have a light on it. So behind the bar, a little light flickers on every time the door opens. You can see that somebody's walked into the bar. Would that make perfect sense? You're right, Steve. I recently went on a date with a guy and insisted he was looking for a relationship. Then by the second date, he said, next time, let me book a hotel room. Huh. <laughs> As if, as if. What are these, but what? So for a couple of cheap drinks, you think I'm going to go to a hotel room with you. Think again, think again. It's ridiculous, isn't it? People, you know, if anybody ever says to you in a bar, uh, do you want to come back for a cup of coffee? They don't mean a cup of coffee. I've been disappointed on so many times. I thought I could have had loads of lattes and cappuccinos and frappuccinos. No, you get back there and you open the door. Within two minutes, they've got their clothes off. And it's always instant. Nobody's ever got a proper machine. I'm sorry, do you have a, a machine? Um, d- no? Maybe, maybe, um, tea? Uh, what sort of tea do you have? Uh, we've got Yorkshire tea. Um, okay. Earl, Earl, Earl Grey? Lady Grey? Breakfast tea? No. OK. So you turn, round, put, you turn round. They're standing there start naked. And you go, I think I'm going to go and get a bus. Thank you very much indeed. I never understand why people say that, you know. If ever you stand in a pub, I mean, try it, try it yourself this evening. I mean, do it quietly, obviously. Somebody comes up and says, do you want to come back for a cup of coffee? And you say, do you mean sex? And they'll go, um, no, cup of coffee. And you go, Phew, don't be so silly. I can get a cup of coffee at Starbucks and Nero's and anywhere else. Why would I bother going back to your place? They're generally dirty, these people. Pl- they never look at it properly. You know, they never think, oh, I'm going out tonight. I might meet somebody. I know, I'll make the bed. I'll change the sheets. I'll spray some air freshener around. People don't think about things like that. In fact, some some of the cases they don't even think, oh, I'll have a shower. I'm going out. They don't bother with stuff like that. It's very difficult to date because you don't, cause you don't really want. I mean, you ha- unfortunately, men are a bit mean. And if they're in a bar with a woman and they go, hi. And they go, hello. And they go, uh, can I get you a drink? And they go, I'll have a double perno and blackcurrant. And, uh, and you have to weigh it up in your mind, don't you? You have to weigh up: Is it worth buying a large drink for somebody if there's going to be nothing at the end of the date? I mean, if you go into Towie, I mean, you've only got to sort of show them a lemon, and they're back home with you immediately. If you if you if you meet them in Made in Chelsea, the chances are they will sleep with you immediately. There's no there's no sort of oh no, I'm a very good girl. I went to a posh school. No, no, we've already seen Binky Felstead's just given birth. Unprotected sex, parents must be thrilled, must be so excited. You know, lovely to bring a child into the world, but, uh, you know, why is she not married? And that's what people do nowadays. Should, should we get married? The answer is, oh dear, oh dear. People don't seem to want to get married, do they? They, don't, they, they can't commit. Like Fern McCann. You know, she said, oh, it's been a terrible time. She sold her story to OK Magazine, who's about the only publication interested in dreary people like her. And she goes, oh, it's been an awful period of time. I thought, what what do you mean it's been an awful period of time? You went out with somebody who had history, you know, who's now going to probably have even more history, but we have no idea. And uh, you've been back to the house, and you didn't kind of smell the cannabis. You know, they had a cannabis farm running at the house. You didn't smell it. You know, it's just, you know, all a little bit worrying, isn't it? So anyway, she said... Uh, that um, she's going to be a single mother and she will not let the father anywhere near the child. And I'm thinking, you better get your head around the law, darling. These people have got rights. You can't just, because you don't like somebody now, because they've embarrassed you, you can't just go, right, you're not seeing your child anymore. They'll go to court. They'll go to court. They'll get visiting rights, whether you like it or not. Don't think you're being clever. You're not being clever. You, you, You throw down the gauntlet, somebody will pick it up and run with it. Take my word for it. I've been around a long time. You, you know, you're not the bright person you think you are. You're certainly not educated in that uh, particular department. Otherwise, maybe you've used contraception. You know, that would be a good idea in this day and age, but most people don't. The girl on the flight, on the Ryanair flight, apparently asked if anybody had a condom on the flight. I mean, you know, I ask you, what sort of people are they? Well, I think we know. I hope the girlfriend kicks him out, actually. Or oh, Sorry, not girlfriend. She's fiance. She's his fiance, And she's pregnant. She must be thrilled. She must be thrilled. It's lovely, isn't it?
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. 27 minutes to uh, five. Kevin the Milkman says, Steve, I found love in London. I was doing a milk round in Plasto and Sam was a divorced mum of four who I delivered to. I dragged her out to Harlow to become an Essex girl. So, ladies, if you want love, says Kevin, get a Milkman. Yeah, the only problem is with Milkman. They're getting up in the early hours of the morning, OK? That's, it's like radio presenters, you know. Some of them have to get up in the early hours of the morning. So a radio presenter, not necessarily the best choice. And that's why I think a lot of radio presenters have sort of kind of on-off, on-off kind of love lives, which actually is, is fine. Also, I think the Milkman thing is a bit of a cliché. Have you seen that the, there's a couple of those films, isn't there, out there, Carry On... No, it wasn't Carry On Milkman. They, they could have been, but they never did Carry On Milkman. But there was, there was um, Confessions of a Milkman, I think it was something like that. Whatever it was, it was sort of going round, knocking on bored housewives doors going. Hello, darling. Do you want gold top? Yes. And the father, the father Ted episode. I don't remember the father Ted episode it was a milkman impregnates everybody. I loved father Ted. I thought that was such a clever programme. I thought it was it was the only house where there was mayhem in mayhem from start to finish. But there you go. So if you want love, it's a milkman. But it just means you'll be woken up in the early hours of the morning. And be going, what time is it? It's two. Oh God, what time you be back? Oh, I'll be back about uh, about twelve. Oh God, you know. And also, you know, it it, it can be quite quite uh, quite wearing on some people if you're a milkman. It's um, so it's quite wearing on milkmen, I should imagine. But if you like it, and if you like that solitude, that that kind of going out there, you're you're the master of all you survey. It's that line in Mary Poppins. You know, up there on the roof, you know, where there's only the uh, the pigeons and nothing else and London's asleep. And you look at London with the little curls of smoke coming up and you think, you know, he says up, up there is a doorway to a place of enchantment. And that's true. You go round London in the early hours, go down Fleet Street, it'll be fairly quiet. You know, and you look round all the buildings, you look at St Paul's Cathedral. When I first started in Fleet Street, there was a railway bridge that went over down at Ludgate Circus. The trains went over it. And so the view to St Paul's Cathedral was, was obscured. Now, of course, it's not. You can see it and go round it, and it's lovely. And I was watching one of these programmes on the telly this morning about uh, Nonsuch Palace and the excavations that they did there. And they went round um, Hampton Court Palace, and they found Cardinal Wolsey's rooms, which are not open to the public. My god, it's like stepping back into Tudor England. There are bits of Hampton Court Palace which are Tudor as you know in origin, and then they just built on and added extensions, and then Henry VIII saw it and went, "I'll have that." And so he nicked it. Oh, Wolsey didn't, didn't get a look in. Well, it's my palace, not any more it's not mate. Out you go. And so Henry VIII took it over. And they were catering for about 1500 people a day, I think, in the kitchens. Huge sides of beef would go onto the. And it was just lovely. I, I, I could have lived in times like that quite easily. Mind you, we all would have been as big as Henry VIII. Uh, Dave says, uh, I'm afraid I've given up looking for love as the girlfriend stroke wives I've had have all been gold diggers. That's the trouble, isn't it? It's, it's, it's so difficult. It's like when when I've been out with people in the past and it gets to Christmas, you have to weigh up the odds. Do you buy an expensive Christmas present thinking it's going to last until March or. Do you not bother, in which case, or do you wait to see what they've bought you? That's the difficult one, isn't it? I used to keep Christmas cards in the boot of the car, so if somebody gave me a Christmas card, I can go. Oh, I've got yours in the car. I'll nip out and get it. You nip out to the car, write the card out, come back inside. There you go. And I'd always find a box of chocolates or something in the car or a bottle of champagne. It was always fairly easy. So <laughs> nobody ever twigged. Nobody ever twigged at all because people don't uh, don't worry about that. But finding, you know, I've got lots of friends who, are, in fact, most of my friends are single. Most of my friends are single. I don't know what that says about me or what it says about them, but most of them are single. Some of them are quite happy being single. Some people have learnt to be single. Some people are very good at being single. And other people are really, really bad. And they don't do it at all well. But I work on the assumption. I've always said this. I've never said anybody's said to me. They've said, oh, you're going to be really lonely. I've got, oh, you're joking, of course. Never lonely. Believe you me, never lonely. If only... If only that—that that actually would be the would be the upside of it, as far as I'm concerned, to actually sort of get through the day without somebody going. Oh, should we go out for lunch? In fact, actually, I've just realised I'm supposed I'm going out for lunch today. I'm going out for lunch today. I'm going out for lunch with Paul Smith today, who phoned me yesterday to say, "Can we do lunch?" And I said, "Well, I've got an interview, but the interview's been put off till next week, which of course is a bad week for me because I've only got two days to do them before I'm into hospital." And um, and so we can do lunch. Where are we going to go? I've got no idea because I don't want to. I do want to sit outside. But I don't want to sit outside if it's going to be baking hot. I'll need to sit under an umbrella. But Oh, oh, not Nando's again. I don't want to go to Nando's. We've been to Nando's before. (laughs) We'll end up in... No, I want to go somewhere different. I don't know where I fancy. I really don't know where I fancy. It's got to be local. I don't do anything that's too far away. And by too far away, you know, anything that takes you longer than 15 minutes to get home is too far away, as far as I'm concerned. So somewhere just sort of nice. Somewhere nice. Something where you can watch people. I'm a people watcher, so I like sitting down. But anyway, so you get all these people who are desperately looking for love and affection and, and sort of some sort of relationship, but they don't know if they want a short-term relationship or a long-term relationship. And, and you don't know, you know, what everybody else is looking for because people tell fibs. People tell fibs about what they do for a living. You know, if you say to somebody, oh, I work in radio, they sort of really go, oh, which radio do you work for? You know, do you know famous people? And you go, yeah, I'm one of them. So it's it's a very difficult scenario, isn't it? Because you don't really know how to go about picking people up in London. So that's why people get drunk. You go down on a Friday, Saturday night into Sunday morning past Tiger Tiger, which is just off Piccadilly, you'll see more drunk people staggering around on the pavements and in the road than I've ever seen in my life. Seriously, it must be terribly, terribly popular. The police seem to stake it out regularly. I've never seen such a waste of police power. Down there, there must be other things they can be doing, apart from standing outside a blooming bar, unless the bar pay them to be there. I suspect they probably don't. But, uh, but the, the interesting thing about the, uh, about the gold diggers is interesting. Martin the milkman says, starting at two in the morning, we're in our depot at 11.30 at night, which equals no life whatsoever. In what time do you finish, sir? If you're, if you're in the depot at 11.30, you've got to be finished by seven in the morning, haven't you? Seven or eight in the morning. You're not still pootling about, are you, after that? That's how big the round is, I suppose. But that's that's what it is nowadays. It's very difficult. But then I think, you know, everything is is, is good. I did I did tweet the other day. I said, life's grand. Life's grand. Uh, London can be a, a bit of a pain in the rear end if you're not sort of familiar with how it operates. You know, but all, all I discovered down here was, and I've discovered it over the years, people tell fibs about what they've got and what they do. It's very much... One upmanship kind of thing. People, you know, if, if, if I've got a Bentley, this person's got a Rolls Phantom. You know, it's, it's, it's that kind of mentality. So I, I kind of play things down. I mean, you know, people say, what car do you drive? I say, Oh, I've just got this Bentley thing and, uh, and just play it down because it's, it doesn't really make any difference. But some people are still impressed by, you know, what your house is like and, you know, where you shop, where you eat, all that kind of stuff. I just do what I think are normal things. So I don't so it's not done for an effect. I don't go, oh, I'm eating at Claridge's this week. I've got a table at Ramsay's and all that kind of stuff. Because that would be a little bit pretentious. Also it wouldn't be true. No point in lying, is there? So it's like, you know, how many celebrity friends have you got? If you're if you're Christopher Biggins, you've got hundreds. Hundreds of celebrity friends. I mean he's literally he must have the best little black book. Next I think to um who's the the bloke on channel four? who does his... Who, Jules Holland. I mean, he must have... I mean, he's actually got members of the royal family in his little black book, so he's very well connected. So you've got, you, what you've got to do in London, or any big city, is build up your contacts. The more contacts you've got... So if you're ever at Everett, a loose end, and uh, and sometimes sometimes you sort of think, I wish I was at a loose end. You know, you, you've all got to that stage, haven't you? If somebody says, oh, should we go out on Friday? And all week... Because first of all, you say yes. And then it gets to Wednesday and you think, how can I get out of this? How can I get out of it? How can I... And so <laughs> I've done it uh, over the years. I've done it a few times. If it's something I really don't want to do now, I, I have to say straight away, I really can't. I just haven't, haven't got the energy for things like that. And I do get offered, you know, lots of things. Nice things to do. But then sometimes you think, do you know, I'd just rather stay in, feet up, chill bottle of wine out out the fridge. And, uh, and that's it. I'm not bothered about anything else. You know, I'll go on the computer. I'll sort of, you know troll around America and try different sites and stuff like that oh did I mention actually I've got a magic show I did mention actually at the magic circle on the 23rd of December which is part of their magic circle Christmas season but it's my own night uh, where we have a, a guest list of magicians and you can come down to the magic circle go to magic circles website and on events you'll see Christmas and I'm the 23rd and you can uh, book tickets for that. I'm hosting it. And uh, we have close-up magic. You can go to the museum. And then we have a, a stage show as well. Uh, limited seating. Limited seating. Uh, but you'll enjoy it if you like magic. And we've had lots of magic. I got a thing the other day. I got a tweet from, uh, is it DNA? DNA tweeted me, who were the, uh, the runners-up in Britain's Got Talent. And the only reason I, I mentioned it is I remember because th- I was sort of bigging them up going, I thought they were a slick act. They had a few little mistakes towards the uh, the end of it. Yeah, DNA official, which is that they actually tweeted me. And they said, did you know we tweet you? <laughs> well, I, I had a rough idea, actually. It says, when are you next at the Magic Circle? We'd love to meet you and say hi. Big fans can't, all st- can't always stay awake up early enough. So uh, so there are the, uh, the boys there. Mind you, I do have more... Um, I do have more. Oh, they're with Raw Global. Oh, interesting. Oh, they're with Jonathan Shalit. <laughs> they're very good, actually. Very good indeed. They just didn't win, which I thought they actually could have done. I thought they had the potential first time. Because I like things like that. I think, you know, some of the things, one of my uh, fellow presenters here said, did you see the guy? I said, how did they do this? Because they know I'm a member of the Inner Magic Circle. And I said, I can't tell you. They said, do you know? I said, I've always got a rough idea of how things work, yeah. Has Julian been swallowed up by the security downstairs, do we think? We've because got a problem with the electronic door here, and, uh, and it won't. There's a key that, uh, that you can reset the electronic lock. And uh, normally speaking, we, we get one of the security to come up and just reset it. But this time, we've sent Julian down, the assistant producer, to go and find the key. Well, we've now lost Julian. Julian's now vanished. First of all, the key goes. Secondly, the door goes. Now Julian's gone. I'm frightened to send anybody else down there. It's like the black hole of Calcutta. Or failing that, it's like, you know, things disappear into this void. You go through the door in reception and there's just like a cloud of swirling mist. And Julian obviously went through it and said, tonight, Steve, I'm going to be the man without the key. And so uh, we've lost him. He's not not reappeared. Has he gone home, do we think? He might have gone home. Bless it. Anyway, we're still stuck here with a door that's, uh, that's permanently open. As I say, anybody could walk in here now. I could be kidnapped from here.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
1: Somebody says uh, you and Paul could go for a packed lunch in Soho Square, then create a fake profile and, and people watch and see who's... Oh, can't think anything worse. Soho Square? Are you joking? It's only full of workmen and pigeons. And Hari Krishna... Is it Hari Krishna in Soho Square? Oh, right. <laughs> I uh, I only go there because I have to go to screenings in Soho Square. And I did go and sit in the square um, before the screening because I was there about 15 minutes early. And, uh, and oh, God, no. It's just, it's, oh, it's a dirty place. Horrible. And also, why would I want to go out of town, come back into town to go back out of town again? Oh, no, definitely not. And packed lunch. No, 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 no. Not my sort of thing at all. You quite clearly don't know me if you seriously think I'd be doing a packed lunch in Soho Square. <laughs> or even going on to... Uh, uh, any of those uh, dating apps to create a profile? Not me at all. Not me. I know people who do, and obviously they uh, they enjoy. It's not my sort of thing. I went yesterday to this screening of this new film Hampstead, uh, which is sort of like uh, a modern day based on a true story as well, a modern day Notting Hill. And uh, who do I see when I walk into the screening room? Just into the reset, Alid Jones. Ali Jones is doing the same interview that I'm doing, but he's doing it on the Wednesday. I've got uh, the guest on the Thursday on LBC, so we had a bit of a chat about everything. Because Al had very kindly introduced me when we did the Make Some Noise, we did the Hippodrome show. And, uh, he introdu- and then he had to go from there. I think he was going to Manchester or something like that. He always looks immaculate. Seriously, I've never seen him looking scruffy. He doesn't do scruffy. Brendan Gleeson, uh, who plays one of the main protagonists in this film, is... Uh, well, in fact, the main protagonist. It's based on a true story of a man who... Builds a house in the middle of Hampstead Heath. That's why it's called Hampstead, and um, and he becomes friendly with a lot of people. Don't like him because he's he's a hobo, he's a tramp. But he's built this property. He's lived there for years, seventeen years. Uh, the story's well documented. It's a bit like the lady in the van kind of situation. And he's built this thing in Hampstead Heath without permission, but because he's lived there for so long, they give him the deeds. They give him the deeds to this uh, to this property, which he's built. It's ramshackle, but he's not doing anything. He's keeping well away from people. He's just going about his life. He sort of grows his own vegetables. He goes swimming in a in a, in a natural pond, which people do up at Hampstead. They've got the uh, the men's pond, and I think they've got the ladies' pond as well. And I think they are natural ponds. I wouldn't swim in one if you paid me. Seriously, anything from underneath the ground could come up and drag you under the water. So I I wouldn't be at all in favour of that. But uh, they did a uh, feature in Country Life this week on people who have natural ponds. And they say, keep half of it clear uh, with sort of these oxygenating plants. Then you can swim there. What, there's fish in there and everything? ghastly. Ghastly. But apparently it's very popular. If you want a really nice one dug, they can actually dig one out of your land if you've got enough. I mean, it's no good if you're living in a tower block, is it? Quite clearly, you're not going to be ending up with one of these ponds. And uh, they said they, they can go from about 50,000 up to about 200,000. I thought, oh, I can't have anything worse. Swimming there and thing, and fish swim past you. and t- oh! There might be eels. Or worse still, pterodactyls or something like that under the water. Baby Tyrannosaurus rex. Who knows? Who knows? It's, a, it's an underground fed stream. Thing could come from anywhere. Under the earth. Oh, worms. Oh. Uh, Grief, I can't think of anything else. Awful. It's a great film. Great film. It's got a nice, uh, nice ending to it. I like a nice ending to a film. So uh, we'll talk to Brendan Gleason about that on Thursday. I don't know if it's. I think it might be going out this week. Might be. I think with Dan Aykroyd, but I'm, I wouldn't swear to it. I'm not. Films out at the end of next week, so it it could probably go out this week. I would think. Well, we have to wait and see because sometimes things uh, things change at the uh, at a moment's notice. Um. What else have we got? Uh, oh yes, the. Um, Norway have got a burka ban going on for schools. They don't want pupils sitting there with burkas on, which makes perfect sense to me. Perfect sense to me. I know people say, oh, it's it's our choice to wear it, but I don't think it is. I don't think it's necessary. Say, I always, it always amazes me that you get four girls walking down the street, three of them nothing, just normal Western look, but even though they're they're, they're Muslim girls, and then one wearing a burka. And you think, what's the point of that? What is the point of that? There is no point in it whatsoever, and we've had lots of robberies committed. People have skipped the country wearing burkas, so it's obviously obviously a bit of a cross-dressing thing going on. I think for some of the uh, the blokes around there, but, uh, Norway have said no, and in school I didn't even know they had it. Do they make mini burkas then for children? I mean, I, I really wasn't aware of it. Just only goes to prove, doesn't it? You have to keep checking on things all the time just to find out what's uh, what's going on. But uh, I'm a lifelong Sue says platinum. Blonde. Dad and mum both had dark brown hair and mum had serious freckles. a Bit of a family joke, my hair colour. I tell Miltman jokes very seriously. Uh, I came along in 1949 in Maryland when the bottle boys came in trucks just after the dads left for the office. I've saved a fortune in, in dye jobs over all these years, so here's to Charlie Gordon. Mum told me his name. Pretty funny. I should imagine so too. Silicon Valley. That sounds quite exciting, doesn't it? Is that because it's all to do with computers? Silicon Valley. Gosh. Would I want to live in America? Nope. Thank you very much indeed. Don't mind. We have a Silicon Valley here, which is called Swindon. <laughs> Redding, Reading and Swindon. Silicon Valleys. <laughs> They're Reading. Yeah, so I used to work in Reading. I know all about Reading. Uh, still to come, uh, why I love Love Island and why it's better than Big Brother, says Ali Ross. Well, um, uh, Big Brother. I think they should be allowed the radio in Big Brother so they can hear what we say about them. There is this dreadful old bag in there. The one who's married... The foulest mouth I've ever heard on a woman. She's apparently a businesswoman. That's to say, they always say that, don't they? They always say that until you discover what their business is and then you suddenly realise maybe not so clever after all. But uh, this one, foul ma- Anyway, she's up for eviction, thank God. Uh, anything to keep her away from normal human beings. Her son is the biggest... Uh, sorry, her son, her, her, her husband. is the biggest drip you've ever seen. He's so wet, he can't even speak to oh, A bit like that. She's quite clearly the gobby one in the relationship and seems to think that being vulgar and rude and cheap and trashy is going to endear her to the public. Nope, nope, she's up for an eviction. Uh, who's the, uh, the third richest celebrity in this country? Yes, it's J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling. So the world's top ten. Number ten, LeBron James. No idea. No idea. James Patterson. No idea. Coldplay. Howard Stern, a radio presenter, 71 million. 71... Th- this is. um... Is this how much money they've got? Oh no, this is annual earnings. Blimey. I definitely need to have a word with my boss about this one. Uh, the Weekend, 72 million. Cristiano Ronaldo, 73 million. Drake, 74. JK Rowling, 75 million. Beyonce, 83 million. And Sean Puff, Puff Daddy Coombs, 102 million. £102 million pounds a year. A year. Amazing, isn't it? That is a phenomenal amount of money. But again, you know, never bothers me. I remember somebody writing to me once and, once and going, oh, are you jealous about these people because they've got money? I go, no, why? Why? Good God, I've got loads of friends who are filthy rich. doesn't bother me in the slightest. In fact, I'm very happy with what I've got. Thank you very much indeed. This Camilla is a right royal raver. No, she's a bit of an old floozy. That's what she is, I'm afraid. There's nothing royal about her. She'll snog anybody, and she's so desperate to be famous. I feel a bit embarrassed for her, really. But there again, they always say, posh totty, easiest ones to pull. Easy. Look at Made in Chelsea. Easiest ones to pull down there. You know, they say... Ah. All they do is talk about it. I mean, there's some right horsey-looking people. You know, people who look a bit like Princess Anne. Oh, God, I tell you, they're not difficult. Really not difficult. Uh, others... Story says, oh, look, picture of Rita Ora again. Why don't you just marry the photographer, darling? Do us all a favour. Because the only thing we never see Rita Ora doing is singing. We just see her wandering around in various sort of old lady clothes. And they take pictures of her. And then we go, who's that? And they go, it's Rita Ora. And you go, and? And the answer is, there is no and. Apparently... Uh, she's been shopping in Beverly Hills, obviously in the wrong place. Never seen anybody so badly dressed. There's no class to her whatsoever. She's just somebody, they, they, they take a picture and then they put it in the papers and we go, oh, Rita Ora again. I'm supposed to be impressed. Uh, David Boy Beckham says, uh, go with your gut. It's another dreary, non-entity interview with David Beckham. What's he done? Nothing. Nothing at all. This is just an interview where he basically talks about the family. He said, my advice to Brooklyn is to be humble and to lead with what you think. Humble? Blimey, I can't think of anybody less humble than Dave and Victoria Beckham. They don't do humble. She swans around with dark glasses on thinking she's Lady Muck. He's been so vulgar because they never knighted him because he's just Davy Boy Beckham who can't act. And then you've got the kids. You know, they all seem to have their own Instagram accounts and Twitter feeds and all the rest of it. Brooklyn either can make a couple He can't play football for love nor money. I suspect he's a bit girly on the field. But, uh, but he could take photographs. But, you know, I mean, what's he going to do? Appear on Loose Women? Who was it who was being rude about loose women the other day? <laughs> I can't remember, it was somebody. made me laugh, though, whatever it was. They were sort of going, have you seen them on there? Because they all start talking about their love life. Apparently, Ruth uh, was, was talking about her and Eamon, and Eamon pops up to say, but because you can't keep Eamon, and, you know, you just wish at the end of his shift he'd go home and stay there. But he doesn't. He sort of, he, he kind of gets on everybody's neck, and They go, oh, look, it's Eamon Holmes again. And apparently she said, Ruth, that her and... Her and Eamon's love life is very good. In fact, she described it as great. I describe it as sort of a double wardrobe with the key still in the lock falling on top of you and trying to pretend you're having a good time. Because, you know, we don't want to hear things like that. They're old. <laughs> Eamon, look at Eamon Holmes, a white-haired old man. I don't want to hear about his love life, thank you. I'd rather hear about cake she's baked or something. Anything. bake some bread, done anything. Don't hear about Eamon... Ugh, dirty, dirty. But uh, anyway, Glory Hunneford was celebrating... I think, 70 years in the business. And uh, the message uh, came from Cliff Richard, of course, and from Brian Connolly. Lovely Brian. Lovely Brian. I said, did I tell you that thing? He said, he, he's doing this stage show. And he, um, he, he said to this woman, this, uh, this enormous woman in the front row, he said, come up on stage, love. He said, uh, he said I'm not going to ask you your age. He said, how much do you weigh? And I thought that, was, that brought the house down. But Brian Connolly's cheeky. He can get away with things like that. That's his. It's a puppet, it. you know. I've known Brian for some time. He's got gorgeous kids. Gorgeous kids. But uh, no. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him again. I think there's a nice little garden party coming up, which I think I shall be there. And in fact, I'm pretty certain I will be there. And I think uh, hopefully Cliff will be there. I think um, I think Elaine Page will be there as well. <laughs> Don't give her any booze. Elaine Page and a bottle of booze, and you laugh until your sides ache. I seriously, I've sat there with her before. <laughs> And uh, my my side really hurt. I found the daddy of all burgers. Jonathan will actually testify to that, incidentally. My friend Jonathan. Uh, the daddy of burgers. This one weighs two pounds and it's 40 quid for a burger. Why do they create this sort of, you know, bad food? But we have found a pizza. Uh, this was baked in California. And um, this one was 1.3 miles 1.3 mil. I know it seems ridiculous. What they did, they gave it out to the public, and then they sent it off to the uh, to the homeless shelters. Uh, it contained seven tons of cheese, 530 gallons of tomato sauce. It took 18 hours to make. I could eat a piece of cheese and uh, cheese and uh, tomato pizza at the moment, but I won't because we've got a, a program to do between now and seven. If you have just joined us, good morning. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. On LBC, do you know the top chains bin nearly 300 million quid's worth of sandwiches? I think that must be every year. Why well, can't they can't they do something else with it? Can't they give it away to the homeless? They bin 300. Oh, blimey! Norway's Birkeban is in schools. Why a slice of toast can help you strike the best deal? The new wonder drug for diabetics. Uh, May the farce be with you. Paul O'Grady says dating is all on apps now, but, you know, it just doesn't work, really. Uh, welcome to Barkingham Palace, the world's best doghouse. What do they call them? Kennels. This is a very posh one. This is very expensive. Fern in Baby Pledge and Jez turn to jelly at the hamster's crash.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning everybody, coming up four minutes past five. It's
1: Tuesday morning. God, we're racing through, aren't we? Don't you think we're racing through this year? I mean, it only seems like a short while ago we were celebrating Christmas. Then we had some bank holidays, and now we're racing into July. I can't believe it. Very soon it'll be July, then we'll have Christmas, then we'll be back round again for the next bit. And uh, and we sort of, we, we take some new highs soon. Will we have a new election within the next year? Oh, no. I don't know. I wouldn't care to, uh, to see what the odds are on that one at the moment. Um, what have we got here? Oh, yes, the... Um, the show jumper, who was the getaway driver for car thieves. Apparently she was going to be an Olympic show jumper. Not now. Not now, I'm afraid. Fool of the First Order. Roaming fees are acts, but it's still a rip-off to call abroad. Although a friend of mine said, I can call you from abroad. So she did. She said, I get it all for free. You have to... I can't remember how it works. Uh, I prefer to send text to a friend of mine who's uh, over in a Mary car. Bobby's on the beat and cheap petrol. All the things that we liked from bygone days. Uh, 20 British reasons to be cheerful this summer. There are reasons to be cheerful. I know most people will actually say to you, oh, it's not good. You know, what about if you, you always get somebody who writes in who's on a real downer? You go, isn't life great? It's fantastic. It's this and that. we can have some nice weather. You see, for me, it's rubbish. I can't do decent weather. Decent weather is awful for me. It just makes me feel ill. And uh, so whilst everybody else is out there going, oh, bring more sun on. I'm going, no, hide me under an umbrella. I'll happily sit there fully clothed with sort of dark glasses on to protect my eyes. So, uh, you know, you have got heat tomorrow. They say up to um, up to about 80 degrees. That to me is what's commonly known as hibernating weather in the Steve Allen world. There is no out there with your shirt off I mean i haven 't done that for donkeys years. Uh, the handbag I found a handbag for you, ladies. I know you like handbags this is I 'm watching everything on the television at the moment. I was watching all the I was watching the jewel one of those um, channels that sells jewelry the other day. There appears to be a proliferation of i have never seen so many. Some of it is absolute drivel and rubbish, and they get so excited these uh, these presenters i don 't know what the briefing is. Can you sit there and go, "Oh, this is just as they polish this bit of cheap stuff with a, with a cloth They go, oh, this is just." This is... uh, I told you the other day, I heard one of them say, and I I nearly fell off the settee laughing. She said, ''You can't find this on the high street.'' It's so rare. And I thought, no, it's because it's rubbish. That's why, you know, people would laugh you. I bet jewelers must sit there watching some of this stuff on the television going, what are you flogging? What are you coming up with? The lies that they come up with as well is absolutely unbelievable. This is worn by so-and-so collectors around the world are going mad for this one. Yesterday, one of them, I don't know which I can't remember any of them. uh, She was selling opals and it's from this lake. And it's the rarest thing. And it's got the cobalt blue. And she's describing a piece of garbage, which is, you know, she said, and we'll never do it at this price ever again because the, we we had a parcel of it and there isn't any more of it. I thought, well, if there's a parcel of it, surely it goes up in price. Not on these places. It goes down for some strange Yes, because it's discontinued because they're buying rubbish, you know, and they go, oh, you'll be so lucky. There's, there's one of them on there. You've really got to watch. If you want to watch Insincerity, I mean, that covers most of them. But there's one in particular used to be a Brucey one for turning the cards. And she's like, so showbiz. She's like, so, so showbiz. And this hit, oh, that's gorgeous. And you think to yourself, I wish you'd get off my television. You're about as infuriating as Edwina Curry going on about eggs. I mean, seriously, she's so irritated. You, you can't miss her. She's the old one on there. And she'll always sit with somebody and go, but this is just, look at this. Honestly, this is, uh, this is just, and you think, I'm sorry, Could you speak? Is it possible to speak? Why don't you just tell people? It, you know, what I want to do is have it transmitted to everybody's homes and then have me in a little box going, this is rubbish. You don't want to buy this. This is the biggest pile of crap you've ever seen in your entire life. I want to be up in that little... You know, years ago, you'd have the person doing the the, uh, the sign language. I want to be there going, this is really crap. This is really rubbish. Don't bother wasting your money. And she goes, and it's set in, in uh, Zircon. And uh, with sort of a with a silver overlay and they come up with all these things and you think perhaps the sort of people who buy this rubbish are sort of only used to seeing jewellery at a Christmas crackers because that's about the level of it. You know, they used to sell some high end stuff, but most of it and then sometimes to add a little bit of authenticity, they bring you a bloke sitting there. We never got any idea who he is. There's a bloke sitting there, or there was an old woman. We sat there for ages. <laughs> she sat there going on about, this is just amazing. And then the girl sitting next to them. I mean, seriously, when I first saw it, and I... D- come closer. When I first saw it, I thought they were making a pornographic film because she was going into raptures about some tat piece of jewellery. And I didn't quite get it. I understand now it's to convince stupid people to buy into this stuff because they, they you know that they all come across as going, well, collectors everywhere are going mad for this one. And there's one of them. She's so desperate, she can't think of anything else to talk about. So she reels off a list of women's names, throwing in the occasional sort of bloke's name. She'll go, and Maria in Stockholm, you know, Wilma. In Bedrock, all this—you know—she comes up with all these things. Bam, bam! In Bedrock, as well, and all these different names. You know, hold on the line. you are going to get this, this. This and I'm thinking, you know, she probably sells a load of it because she's quite convincing. But there again, her claim to fame was turning over cars for Bruce Forsyth. I think at one point she said, "My mother would—my lo- mother would love this." I thought she wouldn't. She really—she would absolutely hate you for this kind of stuff. <laughs> but anyway, it's—it's it's entertaining. I was out the other day with a friend of mine, and, and something happened. Oh, that's right. Uh, I was out with my friend Jordan, and he said, the good thing is for you, he said, that if ever you go out and something happens, um, you can talk about it on the programme. I said, yeah, that's why this programme is so unique. It appeals to everybody. I couldn't care less whether you're black, white, gay, straight, bisexual, transgender, lesbian... Uh, there's another one I can't remember, actually. I always keep forgetting it. What is it? What is the other one which which covers intersex? That's right. <laughs> I thought we were all intersex, but there you go. And um, And... That's right. We are, we are, we are very diverse on this programme, because I don't care. This programme isn't aimed at anybody in particular. It's, it's ten past five in the morning. You could be sitting there doing knitting. I, I mean, I'm seriously not remotely bothered. You know, some, some radio programmes, you think this is, this is targeted at people who like talking about politics, or people who like... To, uh, this this, this programme, we, we cross everything. We can do a bit of politics, a bit of entertainment, a bit of show business, a bit of food, a bit of history, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's not aimed at anybody. I don't really f- care what colour anybody is. I think that's just naff. You know, when people say, oh, this is, this is a programme for sort of black people or for Asian people. It's for everybody. Everybody's the same. We're all in this bloody great big melting pot, aren't we? We might as well just wallow around in it together and have a bit of fun at the same time. We're on this world a bit too short to start worrying about things like that. I can remember years ago when you never had gay MPs, gay presenters on television. Imagine, you know, weather presenters coming out. My God. God, we'd have fallen off the end of the bar if you'd done that years ago. Sorry, gay presenters. On what? On television? Yeah, children's television. Children's television? Are you serious? Yep, gay children's television presenters. Good Lord. Lesbian MPs. Woo, even higher. Even higher. No. Nowadays, we don't think about it, do we? We really don't think about it. We're so multicultural. Not as good as we could be. We could be a lot better about it. But nowadays, we think nothing of going... Imagine years ago, they go, we're going to go out and have Indian food. Indian food, what's that? Indian food, you know, Indian food. Nobody'd eaten it before. Nobody'd eaten it. It's it's relatively new. Chinese food. We were eating Chi- Well, we weren't really eating. We were eating what they call westernised Chinese food. But we thought we'd been really good about it. And then all of a sudden, proliferation of programs. Now we have Chinese cookery programs. Now we have Asian cookery programs. Now we have Thai cookery programs. I sit there. I can't do any of it because I'm not particularly good in the kit. I don't listen. It, it's already made for you. I go to a supermarket and I buy it. So I might eat Thai, I might eat Singapore. It doesn't matter. I feel as though I'm eating foreign, so it's OK. I feel as I'm doing my little bit. Uh, somebody says, laughed so much at stupid o'clock as hubby heads back to work after a long weekend. Four-hour drive before working nine-hour days. <gasps> oh, dear. Margaret says, pretentious people are a turn-off. Most are insecure, trying hard to impress. Most people of quality are looking at the person when forming friendships. Gold diggers everywhere. If somebody asks you what uh, what car you drive, run away as fast as you can. I would think quaint, upper-class Twickenham is the place to relax and be yourself. But most important, genuine. Yeah, I mean, I think people... That, but, that's, but that's radio, isn't it? Isn't that radio? I've always said that. Somebody said to me, what's the secret of, of radio? Not necessarily music radio. I can't put music radio into it because I don't know enough about music radio. I just think that is, this is, that was. There's, there's a few music radio presenters who do a lot more speech than other people. And speech is is not, not difficult. I know people say, oh, it is difficult, otherwise everybody would be doing it. But the trick to speech radio is to be yourself. If you start pretending to be something people want you to be, you're going to fall flat on your face and you're not going to be able to keep it up. You can only be yourself because you're thinking, you know, I don't think as I'm talking now what words I'm getting. They just it just comes out. I've got no control over it. So sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, but you can only be yourself. And the more yourself you are, the more people get it. Sometimes I get people, I've said before, who will write in and go, oh, I thought you were absolute rubbish. Two weeks later, they're so hooked on the programme, they can't go anywhere. They go, you completely ruined my life. I now have to get up at four o'clock in the morning every blooming day. Some friends of mine are the other side of the world. Well, they're, they're not necessarily the other side of the world. They're in Menorca. And they have a, they have a, a sort of a, a bar cafe, which is called Chepas. I don't know what that means, but it's uh, owned by Mike and Ellen. And uh, apparently the other night, a friend of mine, Stuart Miles... Who uh used to be on Blue Peter, you remember Stuart Miles was on blue Peter and uh, then he went off to do other things and now he works for one of our sister stations and um, and he he says he knew you well, oh, he knows me very well, very well We've known each other for a long 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 time, long, long time. I used to see him actually all the time in in Twickenham because he worked for a station in in Twickenham for a little while and now he 's working for as I say one of our sister stations but uh, he says, "Could I mention him as he 's on his way to the studio for the early morning show." <laughs> Well, there you go, Stuart Miles. You get your, uh, your mention on the programme this morning. Actually, I think we've mentioned Stewie before. Uh, but but you're right. It's it's about being genuine on radio. And if you're not genuine, people see through you. So I can hear people on radio stations and I think, wait a minute, I do that. That's a, I think what you've done is you've nicked other little bits and pieces. Because people think that you can go quite far on radio without realising. You have to keep it within the bounds of decency and law abiding. You can't tell lies about people. So when I say the jewellery on some of these shows on the television is rubbish, I really mean it's rubbish. I really mean I don't think you're buying any sort of quality at 30 quid. I'm sorry. Uh, Steve, I laughed when you said you got her Christmas card in the car. What about chocolates? How do you keep them in the car? Easily. They just stay in the boot. The boot is refrigerated. I didn't mention that, did I? The boot is refrigerated. And so I always check sell-by dates. And uh, so, uh, so that, that's how it works. Uh, looking forward to the Hatton Garden Burglary. Well, the first DVD's on sale. And there's another three films coming out, two on television, Emma, and, um, and there's yeah there's two on television. There's another film, and there's the first film, which is out on... I'm so confused by it. How can you have four films on the same subject? Isn't that amazing? So the Hatton Garden job is out now. How much is that selling for? It's got Joe... Oh, it's out in cinema. Are you sure? I thought, oh, right, OK. I thought that was out in, in DVD. One of them's out in DVD. I'm pretty certain. Um, wait a minute. Go on to yeah. Go on to Amazon and see what we've got on Amazon. I'm pretty certain that uh, there you go. The Larry Lamb one is out. There you go. That's 7.99. That's with La- we love Larry Lamb. He loves us too, so we're so we're very pleased with that. And then I think there's another there's another three coming out. <laughs> Seriously, three of them for the same thing. I'm going to go and get the Larry Lamb one. I'm going to order the... It came out yesterday. I'm going to order the Larry Lamb one. Only because I feel a certain, a certain uh, sort of siding with him. But there's, there's two televisions and another film. I think one of the films has got Michael Caine in it. So we look forward to that.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Uh, Steve, my
1: dad used to call rice pudding Chinese wedding cake. Exotic, says Joan, eh? Oh, i tell you, my one favourite thing... Mooncake. <laughs> I always say this every year. Mooncake, Chinese moon cake. I can I can smell it now. I can smell it now. It's gorgeous. Uh, Jason, my sovereign driver, had some toffee vodka a few days away in Warwick and Coventry. What you were sent there. He said it's nice to be back at work. You see, there's somebody who enjoys their work. And uh, Susan says, what are you going for in a hospital next time? We'd like to be informed. Have to go back into the, uh, the podcast. I think people are bored hearing about heart operations and things now. Uh, very dreary. And Graham Rice says, do you know, there's 27 weeks until Christmas. Yeah. That gets me very excited. Very excited. I like anything like that, as usual. Do you know, I'm still, I've still got a box of Christmas cards from last year. I think I'm going to give them to my brother. I think he might have to car boot them. I think it must be car boot sales. So, uh, the good old days, were they really better? I think uh, you'll agree when you hear the list. I, w- I won't do all of it. But if I start at, say, number 25, Better Neighbours. How many people know their neighbours? Most people don't. Years ago, you know, you would lean over the garden fence and say, oh, nice weather today, you know. That woman, you know, moved in down the road. She's a bit so-and-so, so-and-so. Uh, also, community life was there. Now there isn't, there isn't really any community life. We like to pretend there is, but there isn't. Children could play football in the streets. You can't now. There's no chance of getting in the streets. No chance. It's overtaken by cars. So much traffic. Classic sitcoms. You know, we're around, we don't have classic sitcoms now, do we? We had The Only Fools and Horses, we had Faulty Towers, we had Morecambe and Wise, stuff like that. People picked up the telephone. People picked up the te- Now, you know, I mean, we don't pick up telephones, do we? I don't think we do. Uh, fresh produce. I don't remember there being sell-by dates on anything. I don't, you know, I don't remember there ever being a sell-by date, but I'm sure, you know, if, if you picked up a potato and it was going a bit sort of bad, you cut out the bad bit and carried on with it. Nowadays, you throw the thing away. The price of gas and petrol, you know, so much cheaper, so much cheaper. Matrons on hospital wards, I'd love to see matrons coming back again. That would make me feel a bit better about things. Things were more laid back in the early days, in the good old days. I don't, it, it, Listen, believe you me, if you're a young person now listening to this programme, getting ready to go to school, a bit early I know, but you know, you'll be thinking, but these are the good old days because, you know, the young nowadays have got all the technology, digital televisions, Freeview channels, You know, CD players, CD-ROMs, recordable DVDs, mobile telephones, cordless phones. How many times do you use your mobile phone, but you don't use the home... I haven't used my home telephone in years. It's there, but I've never used it, because I use the mobile phone. Somebody wants to get hold of me, they do that. And the number one thing, of course, is the internet. We'd never do a programme like this without the internet. Well, we probably could, but... You know, the internet has changed everything. When LBC started, of course, there was no internet. There were no computers. We had a computer, but it was only for typing up a script. There was no information on it. The information department was run by a lady called Vivian Fowle. And she had a series of books sitting behind her. And you went and... So if you wanted to know about um, army vehicles or planes, you went to Jane's. We had a series of books from Jane's and it had all the world's play. Big, thick books, like huge reference books... You know, like that, the Gettysburg Address, and you'd flick through to try and find the plane and you could tell what it was used for and all that kind of stuff. never have anything at all. Mobile phones, thing of the past. Field telephones, they look like. Field telephones. Um, also, um, Bobby's on the Beat. Cool, dear. When was the last time you saw Bobby's on the Beat? Well, recently, I know, but that's because of recent uh, events in life. The freedom to go out and play at an early age. Things were built to last in the early days. Things were built to last. And also, there was less traffic on the road. You know, people are people, people more patient. Nowadays, I mean, I'm sitting in the back of a taxi yesterday. And it was very nice because the bloke had James O'Brien's programme on, so I was able to listen to that. I was, I was just waiting for him to say, oh, no, your voice. But luckily he didn't because I, I "Speak it like that, you know. So nobody sort of recognise you. And, um, and it cost 25 quid to go from Warren Street to Waterloo Station by taxi. That was including the tip, incidentally, just in case you thought that I was too mean to tip. I tip well. I'm a good tipper. And, um, and I was sitting there watching the meter click and originally I thought oh, I'll do this for a tenner Then a couple of quid tip, but then we went over the tenner and we got to 14 quid Then we got to 16. I'm thinking bloody I could be sitting here all day This could be a very expensive taxi journey and he dropped me and I did manage to get the uh, the 1220 train home So I was I was quite pleased about that But um, but all in all london traffic was terrible. We were all complaining about it Well, I say all of us both of us in the cab he was complaining about it. I was complaining about it and um And it was very interesting. That's the second cab that I've got into where they started talking about how how bad the traffic is in London and, and how slow it is to get around. And I kept thinking, but that's great because if you've got somebody in the back of the cab, it doesn't matter how slow it is. The meter's ticking away. You know, it, it really doesn't make... All right, so you've got to sit there and just be patient with it. But once you've learned to do that, that that's fine. But we were talking about... Oh, I forgot to say that important thing I was going to tell you. And uh, no, I can't tell Sorry, not you at home. I can't tell you that. It's nothing. It's just put your fingers... up La, 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 la. And that kind of stuff. Uh, other things as well. The cost of a pint of beer. I mean, everybody complains about that, don't they? And don't you mourn, bus conductors. I want bus conductors back again. I mean, I'm now confused. I got on a bus the other day. I worked it out all by myself. By myself, excuse me. I didn't need to ask anybody. I said, I need to get a bus. I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I need to get a bus from Leicester Square to Warren Street Tube, which is down Warren Street, which is where the screening room was. And uh, so I went on to Google. I mean, this, you know, years ago you couldn't have done this. I go to Google, I type in bus and it says uh, it said, uh, Leicester Square, Warren Street, and it said number 24. So I go outside, outside literally about two minutes from here, bus number 24 comes along with a couple of minutes. And I get on the bus and it takes me all up Tottenham Court Road to Warren Street Tube and I get off. And as I get off, bus number 29 comes up as well. So I could have got the 29 as well. Bus 24 goes to Hampstead. Unfortunately, I didn't know the name of the bus that was going back the other way, and I didn't know where the bus stop was. shan't be spending twenty-five quid on a taxi again, let me tell you. It's Not that I mean it's just that it's like an awful lot of money to spend for sitting in in traffic jams. I could have just sat on a park bench and waited for ages, but I didn't. But uh, that's that's what we were complaining about yesterday, talking about you know how how bad the traffic is in London and how how bad it's got. And it really you just pay now to sit in traffic jams. But so many buses that we saw yesterday were empty. There was about one or two people on there, and I kept thinking. Um, why don't they just scrap these buses, put them to one side, use them for the rush hour and then use them for the rush hour later on. But then during the daytime, put them back in the garage because, you know, we went past three buses. Every single one of them was empty. Every single one of them was empty. Or there might have been one person on there. This can't be economical. Rush hour, I can understand it. Bring all the buses back out again. But they need to sort it out at all. Larry Lamb, I'm sure Steve was in a series called Fox. Uh. Uh, well, Fox, what, what, are you talking about this? It was, I think, it was a um, twelve or thirteen part series. This was about the uh, the Fox family, wasn't it? Is this the one you're talking about? Um, it it was actually very interesting because this, I think, was an early piece of work that featured the criminal as the protagonist. It was produced by Verity Lambert. I only know that because I talked about it at the time, and uh, it was unfortunately outrated because you know what it came out at at the same time. They both aired on the same night, Yes Minister. So Yes Minister uh scored. Billy Fox is outwardly a retired Covent Garden market porter, but is involved in crime. And uh I think you'll find that Ray Winston was in it, Cindy Callahan, Larry Lamb, Bernard Hill, you know, people like that. And he only had one one season. They did I think about twelve or thirteen episodes. So yes, I remember it very well indeed. Peter Vaughan played uh, played Billy. He played. he he played he played good, I think. And, uh, I'm trying to think who else was in it. Was it somebody? Oh, I know that it was a very young Ray Winster. Elizabeth Spriggs. That's it. Elizabeth Spriggs was in it as well. well there you go. Do I know anything about Fox? Oh, <laughs> goodness. I mean, honestly. Oh. And, uh, Mariner says, what was the film Hampstead like? Good. Very good. Very good. you like it. I spoke, because a friend of mine, I phoned her yesterday. And she said, um, she said, oh, what was it like? What was it like? I said, it's going to be your sort of film. Your sort of film. It's about a lady of a certain age, who who finds love again with somebody that nobody else likes. And that's why it was quite touching. And it's beautifully shot around Hampstead and on the Heath. And for people who... Rachel Weiss lives up Hampstead. You know, and there's some lovely places up there. It really is. It's, it's one of London's little villages. It's a bit like Richmond. Not as busy, I suspect, as, as, as Richmond. Well, no, probably the other way round, actually. But, uh, no, it's lovely. It's lovely to see it. It's obviously shot in the sunshine... And uh, the people who live up there uh, enjoy the Heath very much indeed. Very much indeed. In fact, quite a number of people enjoy the Heath, I think. But it's a good film. You'll like the film. You'll like the film. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, we'll try and put everything in on the programme between now and uh, 7. I understand it's not posh to wear a shoulder bag, uh, rather a handbag. Um, I'm not sure, actually, about that. I've got some handbags today. we just found a new handbag. I don't think this is the most expensive But it's certainly quite pricey. It comes in at 155000 I mean, you'd have to be stupid, wouldn't you? Seriously. I mean, honestly, to walk down... There was a case of a woman in the... uh, She's in the papers today. And she's walking down in Wimbledon, quite posh area, quite affluent. And one of those little motorcycle people, the little mopeds with the two blokes on. The one at the front rides it. The one at the back nicks. Okay, I tell you, if they came anywhere near me, I'd be kicking over. Kicking it over so they fell into the path of the traffic. That's what I'd be doing. Anyway, they target this woman. She's walking by herself down a road. She's got a bag and they want the bag. So they grab it. She holds on for grim death and they drag her down the road. Now, I can't remember what the outcome was, whether or not they actually end up with it. I'd I'd have kicked off merry hell on that one. We've got to stop these people. They're little gangs that come in from, let's say, outside influences. They nick phones most of the time. Now they've discovered shoulder bags. And bags, because it started in Rome, where they were nicking people's coats, fur coats, ladies walking around in Italy, where they thought it was fashionable to wear dead animal. And uh, they would have them over their arms, or just over their shoulders, the motorcycle gangs. Little children would go past, grab the coat, and of course, you know, the rest, as they say, is history. But they've started doing it in London with phones. And uh, what you've got to do is you've just got to kick at them and knock them off their uh, their guard. That's, that's what you've got to do. If you can manage to think of that at the time. Uh, Barrington and Mick. Yeah, don't put yourself in danger, for God's sake. But, uh, no, I always think that. I mean, I always think, to be honest with you, if I, you know, if you walk down the road and you've got an umbrella and you're just you're using it as like a walking stick kind of thing, and somebody tries that, you just shove the thing into the spokes of their bike so they come off. Because once they're off the bike, they can't do anything. They'll have to run like little girls. I would be chasing them. Not too far, admittedly, but I would be chasing. Barrington and Mick delivering beds in Hampshire today. God, are you just, just insatiably... Just selling beds everywhere. Beds are big, aren't they? Somebody has some beds delivered to uh, to my place the other day. Uh, Ed says, having lots of buses is called giving the public a service. No, it's not. It's called a waste of everybody's time and money. You don't need that many buses out there. Yeah, th- there are way too many. Way too many. I mean, I was, you know, bad for the environment. <laughs> Smoke, belching out the back and all the rest of it. Some of them are electric. They're very nice. But, I mean, half the buses that were going up Tottenham Road empty. They were going up empty. What's the point of that? That's just stupid. That's that's not a, serv- a service. A service is actually having a bus on the on the line, not having like. I mean, at one point yesterday, there were three buses, all the same number, one after the other. Bad in it.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
1: Morning, pretty Nice to have company. 26 minutes to six. Is... Actually, I was hoping that DNA Official will do my Christmas show at the Magic Circle, but you never know. Might have to sort of force their hand on that one. I must take some pictures of my uh, hanging baskets because we're coming along quite well at the moment at home. Although today, uh, yesterday, oh, yesterday was terrible because I had to wake up early in the morning to water everything because I'd forgotten. Because I don't have a, an automatic irrigation system. friend of mine is constantly taking the mickey. He says, oh, do you not have an irrigation system? All of a sudden, I'm like poor as a church mouse because I've just got an X-hose because it goes from small to very big. And, uh, and you just sort of stand over the hanging basket until they drip through the bottom. It's got to drip, it's got to soak everything. That's the only way you do a hanging basket. You know, just pour half a cup of water on it. The thing will be dead in about a week, in fact, less. And uh, so I, I quite like do it. So when I get back today... Because uh, I did have an interview planned. Now it's been put off for next week. But they don't realise that next week I've only got two free days. I've only got the Monday and the Tuesday because the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I'm off. Wednesday, hospital for operation. Uh, th- Wednesday Thursday, resting and Friday, resting back on the Sunday. That's the theory behind it. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Uh, Richard says London congestion has been made worse by TFL. Policies include oh traffic lights everywhere. Why don't they just take traffic lights out of the equation? You don't need them. You sit round here. I've said this before. It drives me mad. I've spoken to the deputy leader of Westminster Council about this one as well. That There's a set of traffic lights opposite the Pret-a-Manger. In the early hours of the morning, you sit there because they're red. There's nobody, there's nobody crossing. What's the point of that? Tails back to Trafalgar Square. Ridiculous. Turn all the lights off. I tell you what, do it as an experiment. Turn all the traffic lights off for a week and see how we get on. We'll get on really well. I was worried about all those cars driving down a of the area uh, where they've got nails all over the road. That sounds a bit dangerous, doesn't it? So there's cars now with flat tyres everywhere. Not a nice thing to have. Also, uh, bicycle lanes. I mean, seriously, you don't need bicycle lanes. They drive all over the place anyway. I know they're there and I quite understand how it goes. But lots of cycles don't even observe traffic lights. So what's the point? Excessive buses parking restrictions, and congestion charging. Add to that roadworks and accidents. It's a nightmare. Well, the roadworks, and I don't think I've ever had a day where I've driven in London. I can remember, we were talking, actually, yesterday, me and the driver, about Farringdon Road. Used to be a nice cut-through. All the cut-throughs you've used, they've taken them away. They just make it worse and worse. They haven't got the faintest idea what they're doing. They need to get out there a little bit more. Go and sit in the traffic that goes down Gower Street... Going to, to try and get round the... It's a nightmare. It just sits there because there are buses. And then literally, just as you get to three lanes, you think, here we go, we're going to put our foot down. The buses park up on the left-hand side. So now all of a sudden you're down to two lanes. Ridiculous. It really is. It's idiots. Complete and utter idiots. But there again, go. I'm probably not alone in, in thinking about that. So it is traffic lights. Just turn them off. Turn them off. You do not need traffic lights at Hyde Park Corner. Let the pedestrians take a chance. You know, that makes it more entertaining. Come on, slow down, slow down till they get to it. Re- let's speed up, let's speed up. Beep, 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 Do that. Work's a treat. You know, I tell you, you get somebody on the crossing. Beep, Just beep. Just keep, keep, keep going, keep going. Do you remember they, they did that as one of those candid camera jokes years and years ago? And it, it was always the simplest things that provoked the most interest. And this was a, a zebra crossing where they had somebody dressed up as a little old lady. So they've got all this traffic, so they all stop to let this... And she gets to the middle And she just stops. And of course the traffic's going, and then she moves a little bit. And then she goes back across the other, then she, in the end the traffic starts going around her. They've They've been driven mad by this. But that's what it's like in London. And also added to that, excuse me, tourists. Now I don't want to make a big deal about tourists, but they're idiots. They've got no idea where the traffic's coming from. Because they all drive on the wrong side of the road. So when I'm there and my car's fairly quiet on the road, beep beep! Rights of life, Adam. You can make people in anoraks jump about six feet in the air and I shake my fist. I don't think... Beep, beep. I do the whole bit. I do. But, but it isn't just ten of them. There could be thirty of them. Thirty of them all cross... Beep, beep. That's what we have to do, isn't it? We have to kind of sort of, you know, get them moved along a bit. And they're all wearing matching anoraks with matching backpacks. Oh, by the way, before I forget, if you were going to the Robbie Williams concert in Ireland, do not take backpacks... Do not take big bags. You will not be allowed in. I'm telling you this now because they're sending out notes to everybody. They're trying to put uh, bits and pieces in the press. So I said to Rob, I said, listen, mate, I'll do it for you because that's, you know, because I'm in show business. And um, and they will not let you in. It's security. Also allow plenty of time. People don't know, do they? Oh, we'll just get there and it'll be five minutes to get. It's like in Twickenham. When we have the rugby, you think the game's going to start in 15 minutes. You're still standing at the barmy arms. And you're, you go, it's going to take you half an hour to get up there. Easy. And another half an hour to get inside. So leave now. Mind you, I'm convinced some people don't bother to go to Twickenham for the Rugby. They just go for the drinking, which is very popular. Because we've got the River Thames that runs through it. It's very uh, very scenic. Very nice, actually. A little bit like Richmond. But, uh, sort of slightly cheaper property. Not much, but slightly cheaper. So that's what. If, if we can do all of that, the traffic lights, the excessive buses, the parking restrictions, the congestion. Because sometimes you get taxis black and otherwise, who just stop to take fares on. And, you th- you know, then immediately it's back up. It's immediately, it's it's sort of backed up so we get all sorts of problems there. It's terrible, really. Uh, 84850, co at LBC.co.uk. Somebody says, have you ever seen the local channels, Channel 7, Channel 8, like mustard for Norwich and London Live as TV? I've seen London Live. That is like hospital radio television. It is a bit like that. One of our, uh, Oh, does Richard Spur? What, it's not TV. Does he worth? So sorry, Richard. I'm so sorry. Is that? Is that what, what? I don't know what it is. It's the same sort of thing as London Live. Local TV. We like local TV. London Live is very interesting. That's like. It's, it's not very good. It's, I mean, you know, compared to the other... Thing, but they're making an effort. It's just that they are, they are... But they're just not old enough to have any gravitas. And some of their reporters leave a lot to be desired. Although I discovered one of their newsreaders the other day. I think he would have to be down as one of the campus newsreaders I've ever seen in my entire life. And uh, I found that vaguely amusing. Because I like to watch these things. Because I'm in London. And we are diverse. Div- we're diverse. And we've got all sorts of things. So now, you know, but you do spot... Good television and bad television, like you spot good radio and bad radio. You know, there are some very good presenters and there are some presenters who think they're very good. And there is a there is a complete difference, you know, and there are some some presenters that sort of aren't in the business anymore who still think that they're a, a force to be reckoned with. Whereas, of course, they're not. They're just they're finished. You know, you have to sort of, you know, you've got to keep up with the times and keeping up with the times is getting getting the audience. You know, if, if another presenter comes in and does a similar job and gets a bigger audience, that makes them a better presenter. It's as simple as that. One. And anybody could ever read it any other way. 84850, Steve at LBC.co.uk. Dave says problem with cycling in Europe. They see cycling as a faster form of walking, although in London they say it is a slower form of driving. As soon as they don the Lycra, they all think they're Bradley Wiggins. Oh, God, there's some sights in Lycra. Some, even the producer here has worn lycra. I mean, I don't want to be rude, but to be honest with you, that's a lot of lycra. That's a lot. He doesn't do it now so often. You still do it now, do you? Sometimes, okay. Sometimes. It's weekend before last. <laughs> right, so that close. Weekend before last. But you're right, actually. But over here, and we only thought about this the other day, there were some people in London on the naked cycle ride who were renting the Santander bikes. I want them all cleaned. Every single one of them, thank you very much indeed. Why on earth you'd want to sit on a bike that a naked person has sat on is totally beyond me. I cannot understand. Naked people who don't even... They're on a naked bike ride, but they don't possess a bike. What sort of sick people are they? That's like going on a sponsored motoring and you don't have a car. You know, so they're naked bike ride people. Many of them were renting. So I saw loads of the Sant—it It is Santander, isn't it? Santander bikes with naked people on there. Stop it. Stop it now. We don't want anything like that. I love the way, though, they actually tried to show it as a news item, but without actually showing anything, you know. That was a bit... So these are naked people, but because we're prudes in this country, we can't... In Italy, they'd be doing full frontal shots. They don't care about anything. Good heavens above, they have naked television shows in Italy. We have one over here. It's called Love Island. But generally speaking, the people are slightly rougher than you would find on the Italian television channels. They have all sorts of things over there. They have sort of uh, pension and dating they have uh, naked pensioner dating. They have just everything. There is nothing that they don't have on Italian television. But uh, I quite like that, because at least they're, sort of, they're quite gracious about it. Over here, they're just rough. As I say, when you only have to look at the Big Brother programme to realise that it's a bunch of illiterate people who can barely string one word together, let alone two words together. And their language, language, is just the most awful ever. But apparently we're now supposed to be used to hearing bad language on the television. I'm not. I expect it from the Prime Minister. I expect it from Osborne. I expect it from, you know, Boris occasionally when he's not kowtowing. But uh, he said, I noticed when he was sitting there at cabinet, when they reassembled the cabinet and a more miserable bunch of people, you, you'd be hard pushed to find in one room. And Boris is sitting there thinking, one day soon, one day more, another day, another destiny, another. Oh, doesn't matter. But uh, I thought the rest of them did look like the cast of Les Miserables. But uh, Boris looked as though he was about the cat who got the cream, which I suspect he still might. But she's sort of held her hands up and a few people who sort of buy into it are bought into it. How, I do agree, though, with some people. I think that if there was another election, I think that Corbyn will drop down further. I don't know why. I don't know why. It just, I think, whoever takes over, because Theresa May's... This is just my opinion. Everybody's entitled to opinion. This is mine. I just think that because she's not good at television... She's not good at doing media. She doesn't come over well within the media. They need coaching, these people, into how to appear with the media. Whereas Boris is very media savvy. Corbyn is media savvy, but Boris is better media savvy. So if Boris did, hypothetically, in this airy-fairy world that we're in at the moment, take over at, uh, at Number 10 Downing Street, I think he would wipe Corbyn out. I think a lot of students voted. But you know why? Because did you read what Labour were offering? You know, we're going to do away with student fees, we're going to give you this and that. I'm thinking, it's like somebody, it's the fairy sitting there with a wand, giving you everything you want. You know, we're going to give you free drugs, we're going to give you as much booze as you want, and you can buy as many clothes, and you can sleep with as many girls as you want in college. It was almost as as bad as that. I mean, the one poll done since the election suggests Labour would win if there was another election now. I don't think they would I really don't think they would I think because Boris would be going listen Labour promised you this you know then he'd be promising things as well but it, it just looked too easy Labour didn't it without any plans as to where this money was coming from so all of a sudden we're doing away with student fees fantastic so where's that coming from? We're going to the money tree again, are we? We're just going to be taking off the money tree. It's all a load of baloney, ladies and gentlemen. They'll promise you anything to get your vote. As I said before the election, what you've got to do is cut through the brambles to get to the other side to pick the roses. Because if you get it wrong and it screws up, it's your fault. It doesn't come down to anybody else. They—they Just remember, they're salesmen. They're people who are prepared to tell light, look at this, darling, this is fantastic, look at this, I've got this beautiful towel here, don't, don't say anything, it came off the back of a lorry, it's beautiful. This thing will see you through for generations to come. The colour will wash out immediately, but it doesn't matter. And that's what they say in politics. They are market traders. They're trying to convince you to vote for their party, mainly to hang on to their own job at the same time. They're just, they will tell you anything. They will tell you absolutely anything to get your vote. When they actually get in, they go, listen, we've got a big job ahead of us. We'll come around to that later. But I've got school fees now. Later, don't worry about it. Got five years in here. Ooh. And they, you know, they get to the end of it, they go, well, we're nearly there. Do you think, how long does it take? The answer is, it takes a long, long time.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. 10 to 6 is, uh, is the time. You're quite right about cyclists, though. We've had a, b- a bit of an issue with cyclists in London. Still this driving on the pavement problem which happens everywhere I mean even in Twickenham you really want to say to them get off them blooming pavement you know weaving in and out it's and it's people on rented bikes but of course I mean at night time you can be as drunk as a skunk and get on one of these things you see them weaving about all over the road uh, if you're a dog lover probably the one thing you don't have because I don't think people have them anymore it's a dog kennel I haven't seen dog kennels around for eight unless it's a guard dog sitting in it but, you know, mainly dogs live in the house with the family. That's what I thought they did. But anyway, they've brought out a new one now. It's about 170,000 quid. <laughs> it's, I mean, it looks very nice. It does look a bit like Buckingham Palace, which is, sort of, which is a bit nice. Uh, it just depends on what sort of person would waste that kind of money. Uh, also, England World Cup wonder kid, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, it's all the double-barrel chavvy names, I'm afraid, um, has, uh, has what it takes to be a footy star, including a model wag. His girlfriend, Meg Lily, is apparently a model. Unfortunately, she's not. You know, you only have to look at her to realise, you know, the sort of model she is is one who gets their boobs out. That's not a model. That's just somebody who gets their boobs out. And so she's done a few, what she probably thinks are sexy poses, but they're just not really. They're very amateur photographs. And uh, But, I mean, if you're a little footballer and you're not, you know, he is under 20, so he goes for this sort of person. You look at a picture of him and her together, she really doesn't fit into the model category. It's not being rude. I'm just telling you a basic fact of, of modelling. And, uh, unfortunately, she's not it. Just putting your hand up to the side of your face is not modelling. But, you know, if you want to buy into the idea that if you put put your underwear on and somebody takes pictures of you, it's called modelling, brilliant. But I promise you, it's not. You're heading down the wrong route. I found you a little mini Morris dancer. I quite like Morris dancing. I quite like it. This is little uh, George Baldwinson. He's 13 months old. And they've <laughs> they made him a little Morris dancer's outfit. Uh, for the Leeds Morris Men at the Forest of Dean Festival in Colford. Oh, dear. The Leeds Morris Men. You don't think they've been on BBC Radio Leeds, do you? Any chance? But anyway, he looks very cute. They put little bells on his thing. I mean, so cute. I mean, seriously, you'll look at the picture and go, that's cute. I mean, I shouldn't imagine you've got the faintest idea about Morris dancing, but it doesn't matter. It's just a cute picture. And ki- Have I ever done Morris? No, of course I haven't. Do I look like the sort of person who's ever done Morris dancing? I don't think so, no. I'm not that sort of. I'm not an exhibitionist, not in not in real life. On the radio, they're completely different. But no, I wouldn't do Morris dancing. Have You don't. You've done Morris dancing. I bet you have. You're sitting there lying. You're lying. I can tell you're lying. You. I can see you all in white with bells and your handkerchiefs. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I know how it goes. I've seen it because they do it at the Barmy Arms every year. <laughs> Alec and Hillary invite them down there, and people say, and we sit and watch it because it's quaintly traditional. But I think it should be in a village pub in the middle of Essex because that's about the only place that's got decent villages and that's where da, 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 and then they dance. I'd be the one on the squeeze box. I can't play the squeeze box but I, I, I would love to do it. Uh, Ali Ross on TV today is talking about a child of our crime and um, you know, they're going to be upset by this or you're not. He says, if you've spent the last fortnight wondering why the spring watch animals eat their young and sit on their heads whenever they make too much noise, ITV's got the answer. The Voice Kids, a grand celebration of infertility hosted by Emma Willis, which is constructed along the similar lines to the adult version, but is much, much worse. All underdeveloped voices and overexpanded egos. This lot, with the very worst of week one's intake, probably being an 11-year-old girl named Charlotte, who's already got her own producer and a manager and a 10-year-old rapper called Little T, who performs Skepta's Shutdown, the lyrics of which I'm jiggered if I'm going to have uh, and dignify here. Try as I might, also quite erase the memory of a Tina Turner impersonator twitching away through Nutbush city limits to the obvious delight of the audience. It says here, however, as always with the junior version of these things, the real villains of the piece are the parents, beaming away in the wings like cult members who've given and taught their precocious little darlings everything except the one word they really need to hear as foolishly demonstrated here by Judge Danny Jones. Sometimes, if we don't turn, don't take that as a no. So that's a no, then. Now shut up and get on with your homework. Hashtag Team Herod. Yes, I mean, anything that involves children is just a little bit creepy on the television, just a little bit. But it's but they're always trying to come up with something. It's got nothing to do with the presenters, except maybe a few of them who didn't quite get it right. Oh, but incidentally, uh, for all of those Love Island fans wondering what Kem is short for, it's chemically castrated. Or should be. <laughs> Just thought we'd chuck that into the uh, into the mix for today. Did you see Candid Camera, says Hannah, where they superglued a pound to the pavement many years ago? I used to work in a pub. Uh, and they used to have... It was very old. And the beams had cracks in them, you know, that where the wood had split. And people used to put old pennies and things like that in there. And then the the wood would... Contra- Don't ask me how. The wood would contract around it. And... Um, and and then you couldn't get them out. But people And we used to have a, a bar mat <coughs> with a couple of coins glued to the counter underneath it. And when we were giving somebody the, their change back, we'd move the bar mat. And you, to, to watch people trying to get a threepenny bit off the counter was hilarious. Uh, so the organisers and police are warning people not to bring large bags and backpacks to the Robbie Williams concert. Understandable, Steve, but here's the quandary. What's going to happen at Glastonbury Festival when everybody... Uh, takes backpacks and tents with them. What are the police and organisers going to do about that? They're going to have really strict searches. It's going to take for ages. I mean, to be honest with you, I wouldn't want to go to Glastonbury anyway. Generally rains, doesn't it, Glastonbury? I don't know why. The forecast is really good this year. This might be the first year that people jump around naked in water. And when I say water, I mean the chemical toilets. And uh, that'll be quite... Because I've never expressed any interest in going there or glamping, which I believe is posh camping. But, I mean, the... There's, yeah, I've, I've got friends who go over a year, but they're mad, mad as broomsticks. Why would you want to go and live in a tent where people, when you go to watch the, you know, the events, people thieve from your tent. More things are stolen from there. I mean, to be honest with you, I would be taking the guard dog, you know. And also, there's no such thing as posh camping. You're either in a tent or you're not in a tent. Okay, no such thing as. Don't not believe into that. Where they go today, we're going to be staying in a yurt, and you go well, stay in a yurt. It's just an overpriced tent. That's all it is. And people get very excited about it. My advice is stay in a premiere in some time, some way away and then just sort of watch it on television. It's a lot easier. You'll have the usual bunch of no-hoper celebrities, celebrity presenters. That's what we seem to have nowadays, isn't it? So you can guarantee you'll have the dreary old Lauren Laverne down there. We'll be there pontificating on stuff. And you think, oh, God, honestly, where did she come from? It's like the other night I turned on Question Time. There she was again. Shami Chakrabarti, the one who never quite manages to get anything right at all, but seems to think she knows everything. So uh, that's why it's going to be different at Robbie Williams. Also, I should imagine Robbie Williams would be wanting to make sure security was was tight there. But um, that's the way it's going to have to be. You just have to accept the fact we're in changing times. Hampstead Heath is lovely. Uh, You must take a picnic there. Why? I've got Richmond Park down the road from me. I don't need to go to Hampstead Heath and take a picnic. So it means I've got to drive all the way across London with my little Tupperware boxes with some picnic items in there, a flask, then trek over, flies, everyone, pff, dreadful. Oh, no, thank you very much. And lovely views over London, great, but I've got Richmond Park, which is, uh, which is better. I th- Well, I think it's better. It's only because it's my, my name. And we've got deer. You don't have deer at Hampstead Heath, do you? I don't have deer. We've got deer. We like deer. And, and also cyclists. We have a lot of cyclists, actually. Uh, Niall says, I put a handful of ice cubes in our hanging baskets to release water slowly as it melts. How would you like that? You're sitting in a bath and they go, we don't have any water today, Niall, but don't worry, because we've got ice cubes. So you sit in the bath and somebody pours ice cubes around you you say, don't worry, as it melts, you better have a bath. No, you'd be frozen to death. Ice cubes in a hanging basket to kill the plant off is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. Why do you think they say don't have a hanging basket out in the frost? Because it kills the roots off. And you want to put ice cubes in there. No. No. Sorry. Put ice cubes or freeze water in your bottle. So, but remember, don't fill the bottle right up to the top. Put it in the freezer overnight. Next morning, take it out. Take it on the train. And as the water melts, you've got ice cold water for your journey into town. Because you will be doing a journey into town. You'll be sitting on a train with a lot of other sweaty people. And uh, you'll be the one there with your own, you know, cold bottle of water. Because as the ice slowly melts, you go... And there's nothing worse. I always take a bottle of water on the train. So when it's, up, when it's a hot day, I always go... Like that. And people sitting opposite, you know, are really throwing daggers at you. Literally throwing daggers. They're going, why well, have you got water and I haven't got any water? You see, I would operate... Oh, there was a bloke the other day. Let's just call him a worker. He climbed into first class. And the um, the the guard came along and remonstrated. Excuse me, out of first class, pal, crook. And then he pretended, oh, I was leaving on this station anyway. He got out and he sheepishly sort of crept out of the station. He didn't have a ticket at all. He was just one of these uh, these travellers now who tried to cheat the system. Anyway, enough of them. Shall you have the news at six o'clock? I think so. Uh, coming up very shortly, Prince Harry in Love Island, Kiss and Hell. What is going on in the government? What is going on? Are we going to have an election? Are we not going to have an election? Will Corbyn win? Will he not win? Will Boris throw his hat into the ring? All of this will not be answered here, but there will be various programmes on LBC Today that will be discussing it. How can you really spend five million on a wedding? What a vulgar display. It really is. You know, in these days of people dying, this is a bloke who hired Blenheim Palace for his wife. His mother apparently is very, very rich in something, to, I don't know, mining or something like that. But anyway, they spent five million pounds. They had a million roses. I mean, it's only for a wedding that lasts, what, less than an hour, isn't it, really? And uh, Fiona Bruce enjoys a rave at a music festival. She doesn't stay
0: there, though. You're listening to a podcast from LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. Nice to have company. Welcome to Tuesday. Apparently, we're heading into the heat wave.
0: So, brace yourself
1: for it. So, don't want to see anybody wearing jumpers coming in to work today. You don't need an umbrella. Well, having said that, I always carry an umbrella. I don't know why. I suppose just in case. I've been caught out before. And uh, by tomorrow, 80 degrees. 80 degrees. You know, and that's just about the heat in the Cabinet offices, I should imagine, at the moment. As Theresa May wakes up to another day of... Headlines on the newspapers. This time, of course, it's the headline which we all knew it was going to be, which is, I got us into this mess, I'll get us out again, Stanley. Uh, Referring, of course, to Boris's father. And uh, so when they all get together, I wonder if she's sitting there thinking, who's got the knives out today? And checking where all the cutlery has gone from Number 10 Downing Street. You know, just in case all the forks are still there, but the knives have gone. And just in case when she turns her back, I bet she doesn't. I bet she's back up against that wall, hanging on for grim death. I mean, today... Uh, I think she uh, she gets to meet both the leader of the DUP, and there. But I was watching people arguing on Question Time about that last night. Arlene Foster, and then the the French President, Emmanuel Macron. So uh, it's all very interesting, isn't it? Really, she has got to meet them, but uh, where it goes in the cabinet, I've got no idea. I don't think anybody knows. I mean, apparently the Queen's sitting there going, "Do we have a speech?" And they're going, "Not yet, Your Majesty. We're sort of we're a bit bit of a quandary as to what to write. You know, is it?" I'm not going to be forming a government, but she's just told me she is. No, maybe not. Maybe not. We're not too sure about that one. Uh, We'll wait and see after Tory party. I mean, what are the people who work behind the scenes at Number 10 Downing Street, ladies and gentlemen? You know, what happens to them? I'm assuming all these are her appointments, so if you're working behind the scenes at Number 10 Downing Street and somebody else comes in, you're out. You know, as they bring in their own people. It's like, you know, radio presenters or television presenters... You know, I was at, at a screening the other day with Ali Jones. His his producer walked in, so he left me and went and sat with the producer. But it's obviously somebody he likes working with. Not, not that he doesn't enjoy working with me, but, I mean, it's just that kind of thing, isn't it? So, you know, if you work behind the scenes, we've already lost two advisors who we weren't aware of. They went. What happens to them? Where do they go to now? Do they get jobs elsewhere? No, they pr- presumably have to make their own way. Uh, the uh, The Daily Mail today have got a story. They're They're still running with the Diana tapes. These are... Um, at, I always think, actually, and I'm a big fan of Andrew Morton, he was the first one who set the ball rolling with Diana and, uh, and behind the scenes and everything else, and then there were various other people who jumped on the bandwagon, but he was sort of the first one, as far as I was concerned, who kind of kick-started it, uh, and then they got hold of these... Tapes, which came from somebody who had, I think he was, I can't remember if he was a doctor or something like that. E- either way, these tapes became available to Andrew Morton, and so he's listened to them and put them into a into a book, into a series, which is running in the papers today. So he's making an awful lot of money out of this. What I always think, though, and I said the other day, how do the boys feel about? It? How do William and Harry think about this? And the rest, I should imagine, Charles is remotely bothered, but I should imagine the boys must be thinking, this is our mother you know, and we're hearing these tapes and he's, he's copied down the transcript and everything else. I mean, on today's one, I fainted on royal tour, Charles told me off for passing out in public. I mean, she's been quite candid, but there again she was quite qu- candid, little realising, I suppose, that years later somebody would be regurgitating this stuff and what were seemingly innocent conversations have been turned into something salacious, something that sort of paints her in a, in a bad light. And when we saw her being interviewed on the television, you know, and it was uh, there were three of us in our relationship. And we all sat there going... I mean, it would never been done before. I'd never seen a member of the royal family being interviewed, apart from a series done by Alistair Burnett, where we went behind the scenes and we met the Queen and they had access and they met the Queen Mother. She didn't have a lot to contribute, it has to be said. She just walked around her garden. Again, where, you know, I wanted to see her in jeans, dungarees, you know, ripped at the knees, that kind of... We didn't see anything. She was still dressed up to the nines with the hat and they were going around she's... Oh, And he was going, yes, trees, Your Majesty, trees. Like I don't think she'd ever been in the garden before. A bit of a rarity to be allowed out. But uh, in, in Diana's case, it was, you know, it's made her 20 years on, 20 plus years on, more important now than she was before. People are still buying into it. People still want to know more about her. Diana fans are everywhere. All right, there are people who don't like Diana, people who thought she was manipulative. I mean, she didn't have much choice, did she? She went into a marriage where the person she was marrying was already in a relationship with somebody else. She went in blind, completely blind. So whichever way you look at it, and you go, what would you do? What would you do? She's inside an organisation, and make no mistake about it, it is an organisation. They're there, they do things properly. That's why I said to you before, that Charles can't pick up the phone and, and say to the Queen, you know, Mummy... He has to go through her secretary to make sure she's available and they speak at certain times. The Queen Mother used to have to, somebody would have to phone up and say Her Majesty would like to speak to Her Majesty and they'll go, I'll wait and see if she's available and they do it like that. It's it's done completely differently, completely differently. So in the case of Diana, she's wandering around, you know, these vast empty corridors with nobody to talk to. I mean, the best she got was Sarah Ferguson. I mean, that's enough to put anybody off, isn't it, really? Uh, the other story, as I say, Theresa May, she's on the front of all the papers today. She must wake up. In fact, she's probably awake by now, I should imagine, tuning into this programme just to wait and find out what's going on. Uh, <coughs> mess, Prime Minister. And um, and she's admitted, you know, I got us into this mess, I'll get us out of it. It depends whether they they want to let her get them out of it or whether they think there might be somebody else who else would throw their hat into the ring and will we be looking at another general election and will it be as the polls are suggesting the only poll that's ever come out that says that uh, Corbyn would become the next prime minister and there's other people going you are joking aren't you an insult to the terror victims this is a terrorist fighting deportation only in this country could this ever happen a terrorist fighting deportation has now got a quarter of a million pounds in legal aid despite being caught with jihadi manuals on attacking nightclubs and airports. The extremist, who can't be identified... I mean, it's just so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. ..was granted the taxpayer funds, even though he's described in court as being the very model of a modern al-Qaeda terrorist. He's using some of the money to try and stay in the country following a nine-year prison sentence. I mean, it, it just... It beggars belief, doesn't it? You can literally mow down probably an entire borough in London and you'll probably still keep the house that we've given you and a car and everything. You won't have to work for the rest of your life. That's how stupid we are. I just lose the will to live. Move over Pippa. Pippa's still not arrived back in the country. Probably a blessing. It's the uh, the Blenheim Palace wedding with a 12-foot cake, a surprise star performance and a million roses. I mean, it's just obscene. You know, if you want to do that, Fine. I mean, it costs five million pounds. This and uh, a million white roses, a million. Do you think they went round and counted them? I'd be really cheated. I'd be going. Sorry, nine hundred and eighty thousand. I think. Bit of a discount there. And uh, this is um, this is the wedding of Falarin. I think it's uh, Alakijus, whose mother is a Nigerian oil tycoon and one of the richest women in the world. Um, they have here the 12-foot-high, eight-tier wedding cake, surprise performance by Blurred Lines pop star Robin Thicke. Who's Robin Thicke? Is he, is he really good or really interesting? He's a bit naff, isn't he? I'll tell you why he's naff. Because he normally charges 150000 I'm sorry, if you're going to do it properly, dear, you have Elton John, you get Beyonce in. Robin Thicke? Do me a favour. Celebrity florist... They always have celebrity florists, don't they? Why are you celebrity florists? Oh, because i done flowers for everybody, darling. And uh, he he was charged with decking out Sir Winston Churchill's ancestral home. No, he wasn't. It's a marquee in the grounds. That's what it is. They're in a tent. They've got £200,000 worth of orchids. They've got a five-course menu, including foie gras. OK, this is very for posh people. Uh, also, beef and soul. Oh, good God, beef. We're having beef and soul. And uh, there was also a spectacular fireworks display. Mr. Alaka Joe, who's in his late 30s, studied at Imperial, Ecology, uh, Imperial College. He's an entrepreneur. His wife studied um, biomedical engineering. She also has a law diploma. But apparently uh, she used to date Rob Kardashian, the wife. God. Sounds a bit. Already, it's sounding a bit naff. I'm afraid. <laughs> she wore wore a strapless white gown, accessorised with a diamond necklace and white manolo blanic heels. Okay, the the, the 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 mother of the of the groom has an estimated fortune of 1.66 billion. She overtook Oprah Winfrey, uh, of the richest woman in the world. They had a bespoke marble floor with their gold initials, and um, this this bloke is a widow. Uh, So uh, she's dated somebody else, and he's a widower. Sounds like the marriage made in hell here. A million... What do you do with a million roses? Anybody want to take the flowers home? Hello? Anybody? What do you do with them? You've got a million flowers there. Very tacky. Very, very tacky. Um, If you um, eat... Sorry, I'm going to take a break. But uh, chefs who describe vegetable recipes creatively on their menus may be onto something, as it makes diners more likely to eat the dishes. The crafty trick is to make people eat more than their five portions a day. Uh, so twisted citrus glazed carrots, it's just a carrot, okay, but they make it sound excited, other side dishes given so-called indigenate labels such as dynamite chilli and tangy lime seasoned beets, I mean it's just rubbish isn't it, but you buy into it, you buy into it like you vote for people, you don't know what you're voting for, you just vote for them, lovely picture of a couple of people smiling, everybody else looking very very miserable, and uh, Ruth Davidson, On top table and uh, all sorts of actually coming up with Nick Ferrari this morning. You can be very excited because uh, I think you'll find Michael Gove will be joining Nick on the show for this morning. Nick will be finding out what his plans are. Hopefully you're trying to find out what anybody's plans are, actually. If you go to Broadstairs, says Dean, there are Morris dancers everywhere. Is that got you Go to the fish and chip shop? Morris dancers. Go try to push a supermarket trolley with Morris dancers. They're all over the place, aren't they? It's a, it's a growing epidemic, but it's something quaintly British, which I like.
0: You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Did you hear the other day, on a, a radio phone-in,
1: not on this station, on, a, on another one, actually, uh, Alison Hernandez, Police and Crime Commissioner, for Devon and Cornwall. And they were doing a phone-in on arming the police. And somebody phoned up and uh, and said, how about gun owners? Could they maybe help the police out and could fight back in terror attacks? She seemed to think that was a fairly good idea. And people are going, what? Oh, are you mad? She was speaking on... BBC Radio Cornwall. Oh, dear. There'll be another reprimand going on here. She said she'd raised the idea with her forces chief constable, but admitted the legal implications were complex. So, in other words, that basically suggests that farmers, firearms dealers and other licence holders could be used to defend remote areas from an attack by marauding gunmen. Beginning to sound a little bit, um, you know, I mean, I can't really believe it, actually. It begins to sound like the Home Guard, doesn't it, all over again? I mean, um, she said she'd be interested in exploring the issue. The force said armed civilians would risk being caught in the crossfire. Paul Netherton, deputy chief constable, said it was an emphatic no that people should be arming themselves against such a threat. The caller, named Sarah, said she was an ex-registered firearms dealer and gun owner living in Butte. She said, "If there should ever be a terrorist attack close to the town centre, what happens if people like uh, like myself and others trying to defend themselves using these guns?" Ms. Hernandez said, "This could be some of our solution." Before being interrupted by the presenter Lawrence Reed challenging her on whether she was advocating vigilantes, Ms. Hernandez says, "I'm just saying. Let's officially have a look at that and see what would be the implications of it. It would be vigilantes, dear. I mean, surely you can see that." Anyway, after the phone-in, she told the BBC, I think everybody should be thinking about what part they can play in a terror attack. Great. OK, so here's some people down there. They've all got guns, that's right. Yes, yes, you, you, you go up to the front line there. Good Lord, honestly. Police advice is run, hide, tell. Run, hide, tell. But uh, if you're carrying a gun, they say uh, we will deal with you and deal with you immediately. How are you going to separate somebody? Excuse me, I'm just an ordinary member of the public. Probably- I've got a gun licence. You look like a terrorist to me, pal. How are you going to tell? I'm not going to be able to tell anyway, are you? Ridiculous. So, anybody. So, the advice is, caught up in a terrorist attack, run, hide, inform us. I think the running bit's very important. I think the hiding bit's very important as well. What was that police officer who managed to get 200 people into a cellar? I mean, that's some hell of a cellar to get 200 people into, but that was probably the best advice. Probably the best advice. Uh, Declan says, is the little Morris dancer a Morris Minor? Got to be a certain age to actually get that one. And uh, everybody in the country is entitled to legal aid if you're going to Crown Court. It doesn't matter if you're Jihadi John or Elton John. You go to the Crown Court, you get legal, uh, free legal aid. That's how the country works. You're not allowed to stand trial on your own in the Crown Court if you can't afford a lawyer. Thank you very much indeed. And, uh, but as I say, this, this particular one, is uh, he's a terrorist fighting deportation. I mean, we've got some very odd people in this country. This is somebody here who's been caught with manuals. Jihadi, I didn't remember things existed Jihadi manuals on attacking nightclubs and airports and that's why he wants to he wants to stay here but we've got loads of people who shouldn't be in this country and uh we are living in a really really strange time where sort of we 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 we, we put people in prison I was having this discussion with this cab driver the other day about putting people in prison who tried to murder people in fact in some cases they did murder people so we put them in prison for the rest of their lives at some point though they might actually be entitled to come back out on the streets again that's how mad it is um plastic potted plants Thomas you really are quite mad aren't you And uh, and somebody else says, a tip for freezing water for your train trip. Half fill the bottle with water, lay it on its side in the freezer overnight. Next morning, add more water. You've got a ready-to-drink ice water bottle without having to wait. Yes, I mean, listen, anything like that, I think, is a brilliant idea. Because you do need, everybody does it now. We never used to do it, did we? We never used to do it, uh, you know, actually sort of taking water on a train. But I see it more and more. Of course, the funniest ones are people who have these special bottles, which have got like an insert. And so you can put fresh mint in there. And apparently then that infuses into the water. It's a load of old baloney, of course. But uh, some people are doing it. They'll spend a fortune on a container that holds water. I saw a bloke in Costco a few weeks back. He must have bought hundreds and hundreds of these things. He must have been selling them somewhere. Perhaps they were on special offer. Um, uh, So 20 glorious and very British reasons to be cheerful this summer. Uh, Apart from that, you might get the weather that you so desire. Uh, Nick Clegg lost his seat in the Commons. Hooray, says Quentin Letts, the only drawback is that defeat in Sheffield Hallam means petulant cockerel Cleggy will pocket another few thousand pounds of our tax money in a Commons redundancy payment. But, heck, it's worth every penny to be shot of that frightful Ramona. See, I quite like Nick Clegg. I tend to look at people as opposed to their, their sort of politics all the time, and I quite liked him. He used to come into LBC all the time, and I thought he was brilliant. In fact, he came with loads of security. He was neither here nor there. Uh, also, um, mid-June... What are we doing mid-June? We're going to be drinking pims, So that's part of your uh, five-a-day fruit allowance. Uh, You know, cucumber, mint, and uh, you pick up a pleasing little buzz. Add gin for an extra kick. This is Quentin Letts here. Uh, Also, GCSEs and A-levels nearly over. Once out of the way, school school pupils can go out and get sand between their toes and teachers can hit the common room sherry. Uh, this uh, This year's strawberry crop looks like it's going to be a belter. I mean, it really is, I keep seeing adverts on the television for, for British strawberries. But I've got British strawberries this morning. And they're very good. Very, very good at the moment. Uh, the other one is, not long ago, oh, sorry, not long to go, until the uh, family bucket and spade in August. And that most cherishable of sights. The Englishman in a beach deck chair with Panama hat, short socks, sandals, a fish paste sandwich in his hand and a developing case of raspberry ripple sunburn. Yes, the British sitting on the beach In the summer, (laughs) generally speaking. If you've seen Death in Venice, you'll exactly know what that image is. And um, very interesting. Uh, Lots on this uh, very sad story of this young lad, Sam Abel. Uh, Sam Abel uh, was bullied by social media people because he was clever, because he was bright, because he went the extra bit. And they bullied him so badly that he decided that his life wasn't worth living. And that's when it gets to that terrible state. Um, And so here he decides to uh, to jump off a, a car park building, a supermarket car park building. So for getting good grades and for being a nice person, he takes his own life because of, because of vile people on the internet. So they'll never be able to see the messages sent to Sam over Snapchat, which deletes posts automatically. You know, really, if ever you get any of these things, delete yourself from Snapchat. It's as simple as that. Then you don't have to read this rubbish. You don't have to read it. But uh, his friends knew what was going on. Uh, some of these people were at school. And uh, some were people who probably didn't even know him, but it was enough to push him quite literally over the edge. He met uh, Prince Harry. You know, he just seems like a a nice person. But uh, he was uh, he went on a skiing trip uh, the Easter break and uh, they would torment him in the dormitories, name calling, playing pranks, pushing him. But uh, he seemed much happier the the month before he decided to take his own life at school. He was doing well, started reviewing products for online shopping giant Amazon on YouTube. He loved it and he loved learning. But then obviously something happened inside him. They had visited his parents, Sam's school several times because of the bullying and had been told staff were acting on it. What? What were they doing? I hate to sort of raise the question, but, you know, this is happening more and more nowadays. And, uh, you know, I never believe it when they go, oh, we are acting on it. Well, quite clearly, not quickly enough. Because he, he doesn't exist anymore. He's just, he'll just be a memory for his parents. A very sad reflection, really, on how bad schools have got nowadays. Really bad. Coming up to the news at uh, at 6.30. What we do the other side of the news, we do the front pages. And I will tell you the story of a lady called Sarah, 73, single-handedly, stopping travellers who had broken a gate going into a beauty spot. Not before they hurled her to the ground and they knocked her false teeth out. They were that vile to this 73 year old woman but she won she clung onto that gate she wasn't letting them through at all and these nasty people pictured in the paper today are travellers who are trying to access private grounds so they could litter it with filth and rubbish and themselves in the end the police turned up and they scuttled away like girls but uh, well done to her but they did knock her false teeth out but she said I wasn't going to let go even if they killed me That's how bad it is. And this is a lady who happened to be there at the time. Many sites that they actually get onto nowadays, they just fill it with rubbish. I think we just brick it in. Let them stay there. You're rubbish, you stay there. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Of course. I mean, let's face it, there is a small group of people, but there seem to be more and more of them now, who give, you know, the travelling community a bad name. They're constantly complaining about being being victimised. Here's a woman who's not only been knocked to the ground at the age of 73, but these people are pictured. These people aren't old who are bullying her. These are young people, including women, Disgusting. They spat at her. Disgusting. really is. Gives people a very bad name. You're listening to a
0: podcast from LBC.
1: Coming up with Nick Ferrari at breakfast this morning at 7. A reporter's claim that applications for EU nurses to work in the UK has declined by a massive 96% in less than a year. Is this just another casualty of Brexit that we should accept? Plus the newly appointed Environment Secretary Michael Gove will join Nick on the show this morning. His voting record and his workers' education secretary suggest he's not up to this new job. So Nick will be finding out what his plans are. That and more with Nick Ferrari this morning from Seven on LBC. Somebody says guns. No, no, no. We are not America. Yes, look at the state they're in. Look at the state they're in. Gun shops where you can just go in and buy a gun. You can have a little go in there, little target practice thing, and then you just sort of sign this form and off you go. You've got a gun. It's as simple as that. God help us if ever we get to that state. Somebody says, sorry, Steve, how can you celebrate the bravery of those who tried to stop the attackers on London Bridge and then condemn the idea of vigilantes trying to stop them? It's getting out of control. We all need to fight back. Otherwise, we'll lose. But we give money to people. We have such strange laws here. You have lawyers who will defend people. You know, people sort of go to appeal. They've, they've macheted somebody to death and they go to appeal. You know, I mean, I just don't quite understand it, actually, you know. And, and vigilantes, I think, are really going to put themselves in danger. We can't. We can't accept vigilantes. I remember years ago. We don't hear about it now. Who were the people who used to patrol the tubes and everything else? I think it was an, uh, an American group who was sort of there. No, they weren't Hell's Angels. They were something something like that, and they patrolled the tubes. They were there because we had so many problems on the underground. You know, people being robbed and things like that. And so these these sort of tube vigilantes. I mean, it was quite some years ago now. We, we can't remember the name of them around here, but I'm sure somebody will. Uh, they they were travelling on tubes, and uh, I thought they were really good. I thought it was a brilliant idea. Although when I saw armed police on the tube a short while ago, I didn't think it was a good idea. I didn't think it was a good idea, because I wasn't sure how that would actually... Guardian Angels, that's it. They, they were sort of around, and then they they disappeared. I mean, they might still be around, I don't know. But um, they mainly focus in, in New York City. And uh, what they do, they actually sort of patrol the streets and neighbourhoods. They're sort of self-appointed vigilante types, but they were always very distinctive in what they uh, in what they wore. I mean, they've been active, I think, in London since 1989. By 2007, the numbers had dwindled down. Uh, all violent crimes reported to the police. Uh, use of force is only employed in extreme cases. Uh, they were up in Manchester. They ceased operating in 96. And, um... It was a bit sad, really, because they, they were in the newspapers, not every single day, but they were there to say, listen, you can be safe on the underground. So people would bel- deliberately target those carriages they were in because you felt quite safe. You know, I mean, do you not do this? Don't, I don't travel on the tube that often, not for any other reason, apart from the fact that I prefer to be above ground. And, um, and you do sit there looking at everybody in the carriage, don't you? I don't, I don't like to. Thank you. Mr, Mr Chris, a friend of mine, says it's Guardian Angels. He's of that age where he remembers these things. But I just remember their their sort of outfit, they looked a bit like they were rejects from West Side Story. And uh, they were a gang. But it just sort of, it petered out a little bit here. People got quite worried when they first started. And by the time it had sort of gone all the way through, people were going, oh, actually, we like the idea. But uh, armed police on the underground and vigilantes. I'm not not over keen on vigilantes at all. Uh, Kelvin says, we attended that wedding you're talking about. It was lovely. Uh, but not worth all the fuss. Only knew what you were talking about when you said Robin Thicke performed. I don't think there were a million roses, uh, but I do have pictures of the hall and all. By the way, the name is pronounced Alakija. Still a hell of a waste of money, isn't it? Five million pounds. Mind you, didn't sell. That's nothing because I'm sure somebody spent more than that. I'm sure that one of the Ecclestons was something ridiculous. It was way more than that. Way more. I mean, I'm, I don't know why I've got a figure of sixty million. Uh, the Middleton family. The Mittals. Oh, the Mittels, Yes, yes, the Indian Steel family. That was expensive, was it, as well? What is it about having sort of very expensive... It just makes people go, you're so naff. So I'm looking at this... Oh, this is inside, is it? Oh, somebody's taken a picture of inside. They're just inside a tent. That's all it is. They're inside a tent with a sort of glassing over. As I say, Robin Thick was your, was your band. No thank you very much indeed. As I say, I'd be more impressed they've got Robbie Williams... And through it all, you know, it could have been good. Could have got Jordan out there for a couple of quid. She'd have done it. But £5 million, million million, million roses. You've got to bring a celebrity florist in to stick a million roses round the place. You'd have to give them to people to take home, wouldn't you? Have people going home wearing all these white outfits, covered in blood from the thorns on the roses. A million roses. Does a million roses say something? I think it says, let's take them home or give them to a local hospital. I think that's actually I think that's better because they do do that a lot of the time now, don't they? But a million. And then but they weren't in Blenheim Palace. That was their backdrop. It was, um, it was interesting. I can't imagine spending that sort of money. But, you know, if people have got it, I don't I don't mind them spending it. I don't have a problem with that. That's not the problem. The issue is when you flaunt it in front of people and you think <laughs> five million quid. <sighs> I mean, Pippa Middleton's still on her honeymoon. But mind you, we don't know what she did for a, for a job before that anyway. She just sort of tiddled... He's obviously away from the city. Perhaps unless he does it by laptop or something. Uh, front pages of the papers we'll go through uh, this morning. They've got... You'll love the picture on the front of the Daily Mirror. It is Theresa May. May the fast be with you. And they've done her up as Princess Leia. And uh, you've got stormtroopers in the background. Only two. It's it's quite clever, actually. It, it actually she suits the wig. She suits the wig. It's been very cleverly cleverly done. Uh, Britain's most lavish wedding. A snippet It's not Britain's most lavish wedding. It really isn't. There's been much more lavish weddings. I mean, he's been married before. as a widower, and she used to go out with Rob Kardashian or something. God. Uh, the cyber bullies. I'm glad that story is on the front page of the papers. I'm glad he got some recognition. You know, for a 14 year old boy to take his own life. And for his parents to think was his life in vain, it wasn't. It was just a shame that the school doesn't pick up on these things and they don't act quickly enough. But, you know, if you get, you know, and this applies to anybody, if you get bullied online, if it's Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram or Facebook or anything else, delete it immediately. Or failing that, you know, record it, go to the police. Get these people stopped. Get them stopped. We have to stop people like that. This boy took his own life. Wouldn't it be lovely if you turned up at somebody's house again? We've got what you wrote to him. How do you feel about that? Put these people in court. Throw them in prison if necessary. You know, teach them a lesson. Because otherwise they'll do it to somebody else. And somebody else will take their own life. You know, but for a 14-year-old boy to be that disturbed that he throws himself off the roof of a car park is the saddest thing you could ever read in your entire life. So, such commiserations to his family. Who had been to the school. The school said, oh, the teachers are doing something about it. Quite clearly not. If he ends up doing that or they weren't working quick enough, you've got to work fast on these things. You know, children can be very cruel even before, you know, the advent of, of social media. Kids were cruel to other kids. They're like that. You know, do you want to come play football? No, don't want you to playing football if who don't like you or, you know, in class, they flick, you know, with the, you with the back of the head with an elastic band or something like that. But now we've got social media. Perhaps he wasn't bright enough to know that, you know, you have to delete this stuff as quickly as possible so that you don't have to read it. Why should he have to read that? Because he's a bright kid. He shouldn't. Front page of The uh, the Sun this morning. Oh dear, it's all sex, I'm afraid. Oh, no, Theresa May. Uh, Theresa May says, sorry. Uh, she takes the election blame but vows to fix the shambles. Mess, Prime Minister. That's a play on... Yes, Prime Minister. OK. Uh, the Sun is also concentrating on sex. Get your sex life in poll position. Can't imagine. I think they're obviously saying, you know, pole dancing is the way forward. I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, who could be bothered nowadays, ladies and gentlemen? It really is. You turn on the television and you get sort of Love Island. Actually, one of our one of our fellow presenters, she said to me, she said, I listened to you. In the... She's working. She's listening to me. And she said, she said you were talking about Love Island. She said, I bet you watch it avidly. I said, I've never seen it. I said, I've never seen it in my entire life. I said, I can't watch trash like that. They've got somebody who apparently went out with Prince Harry. But as I say, <laughs> You know, Harry Schmari. Everybody's been out with Prince Harry, for goodness sake. Even Meghan Markle. And, uh, and she's sort of snogging everybody on there. And you think, that's how desperately sad reality television is nowadays. You can find any old people whose career, or whatever they laughingly call it, is so far in the gutter that they'll do anything to gain attention. The producers of Love Island uh, the other day said they're looking for people to have SEX on television. That's what they think will actually get an audience, really. How how tragically sad. How tragically sad. Uh, And then they've got the Antiques Rave Show. They're trying to make out that Fiona Bruce is actually quite sort of hip and trendy. Whereas, in fact, she goes along to um, uh, um, uh, one of these sort of, whatever it's called, a music festival. I couldn't think what it was called, actually, a music festival. And uh, she didn't actually um, go camping there or glamping or anything else. Oh, God, no, she's far too stuck up for that. She stayed in a hotel off-site, dears. OK, but she did booze till 3 a.m. I don't, She can knock back the milkshakes, let me tell you. She's a bit like Brooklyn and Dave Beckham. You know, I'm just waiting for that wonderful picture of Brooklyn Beckham face down in the gutter with Dave sitting there saying, I love my wife. What's her name? You know, that's what I really want. I'm model pants. I'm David Beckham. Whereas, of course, every time we ever seen poor old Victoria... There was a thing the other day, she was wearing dark glasses again, and she'd already told us that the reason for wearing them is that she's up half the night with the kids. As I say, they're probably throwing up after drinking too many milkshakes. But uh, if truth be known, she's not even with the kids half the time. She's over in America, and the kids appear to be over here, which is also very odd. Ali Ross says, Ditch Big Brother Lectures for Love Island. Uh, Lectures... And uh, also, we've got to put up with uh, Chris Packham. I'm a bit bored with Chris Packham now, actually. We've seen the joke. He's weaving in, is it film titles or something? Whatever it is, it's so dreary and so boring. I can't really be bothered with it. But um, great, deli- uh, great uh, lies and delusions. Actually, I do love Ben Shepard's Tipping Point. That's where they must do about ten programmes in a day. And Den, were, uh, sorry, and... Um, And uh, poor old Ben Shepherd wears some of the oldest clothes. He must shop in charity shops. I've never seen anybody wear such old-fashioned clothes. I mean, perhaps he thinks they're trendy. Probably are where he comes from. But anyway, uh, which country's army was defeated by the English at the Battle of Agincourt? Alfie goes, Americans. I mean, you get some really thick people on television quiz shows. 15 to 1, Sandy Toksvik. The National Gallery... Of Ireland was opened in 1864 by the Earl of Carlisle, in which city? Lily. Wales? I mean, seriously. And Ben Shepherd, the Trent Bridge cricket ground, sits on the banks of which river? Steve goes, is it the Thames? I mean, Joanne Webb applied to be on tipping point. They didn't get back to her. You know why? Too bright too bright. You see, they only want dim people who are going to sit there. I mean, one of the blokes the other day, he didn't know anything, how he got onto the programme. Perhaps they, they sort of, they, they go, OK, let's have a reasonably intelligent one, and let's have a really stupid one, because this bloke didn't know anything at all. It was just amazing. Just amazing. But uh, we like watching it. Oh, there's a new games console. Uh, it's an extra thing, about, it. it's about 450 quid. Do people still play games? Is that still popular? Is it? Your brother does. How old's he? 31, and he still plays games. I never got into games consoles. I just, I, mind you, I never did Dungeons and Dragons either. Who wants to be locked up in? I did go round to somebody's house once. They tried to explain it to me. I thought they were on drugs. I had no idea. And it's a, they play it with people on, on the telephone or something. Or on the I don't know, whatever it was. I thought, no, this is the sign of a misspent youth, ladies and gentlemen.
0: You're listening to a podcast
1: from LBC. Morning, everybody. Coming up 10 to 7 in case you're rushing to catch that train. Although, who runs to catch trains now? They do round our way. You know they're pulling Twickenham Railway Station down. About time too, eh? Uh, So Brian gets a new station, but it's not going to be till finished till twenty twenty, I think. Hope I live long enough. And um, and it's all being ripped out at the moment. It's all people in there. I think they're going to put an escalator in. We're all very excited. Haven't had an escalator there, so uh, we're looking that. Apparently, um, producers, as you think that that's bad. We're getting the Bakerloo line in South East London after twenty thirty. Oh, no chance of being around for that one, is there? It's, a, it's like a bit of a pipe dream, isn't it? Where they say, oh, this is going to be happening in the future. And you think, well, if there is this place where I'm sitting on a cloud looking down, it, I can't wait, because the pictures of Twickenham Station look quite nice. But both Brian and I, I should imagine, at the time it's sort of there, would well, have sort of long given up, I should imagine. Because we've lost the poor flowers outside with Peter They've moved that Although technically they could still have it there It wouldn't make any difference to the station uh, Jack from Coach Trip says Did you know all the flowers that are given to the Queen in any event Are chosen by her and given to local hospitals and hospices all over the country Well they'd be dead if they went all over the country they just give them local Even the ones she's given And they go, thank you she, So if, if little kids go, have a, have a posy, Queenie And so she takes the po- night And gives it to a lady-in-waiting don't think the Queen's going to walk around with things wrapped in tin foil, do you? Definitely not. Front page of the, the Mail, the Diana Tapes, as I said before. And uh, an insult to terror victims, the jihadi, fighting to stay in Britain, given a quarter of a million quid of your money. Uh, May I got us into this mess, I shall get us out again. Sounds like a Hollywood film, doesn't it, really? It's Laurel and Hardy all over again. Uh, the Daily Star, Jezza on Hammond. I thought he died. This is after this. Uh, he got out the car. And then this thing burst into flames. I mean, it was literally touch and go, touch and go. Prince Harry in Love Island, Kiss and Hell, Snogfest, Telly Babe. Oh, God, already she's a Telly Babe. This is uh, his shy and private ex-girlfriend. Yeah, shy and private, like, I don't have any talent. Uh, My claim to fame is I went out with Harry. Nobody knows whether it's true or not. Uh, She's called Camilla Thurlow. And then she got stuck into snogging. I tell you, parents must sit there going, did we pay for an education for this creature? or what?" I mean, what is going on? She went out with Prince Harry. He obviously doesn't hang around with some of these people. Perhaps somebody says to him, listen, sir, really not her. Really not her. She's a little bit desperate. But uh, one, once you get a tag, that sticks with you forever. So if people then go, oh, uh, uh, what's her name? Caroline Flack went out with Prince Harry. Whether it was true or not doesn't matter. It then goes down and it becomes subject to Google and then people type it in. And, it's, and all of a sudden, it's, it's everybody. I mean, everybody. Come on, hands up out there at the moment. Not if you're driving. Don't put your hands up at all, please. I'm not here to screech your brakes. But, you know, everybody's been out with Harry. I've lost track of it. Even Molly King from the Saturdays. What's he got in common with her? Nothing. Nothing at all. And Caroline Flack. I mean, do me a favour, please. And now this latest one. Because she's called Camilla Thurlow. I don't know anything about Camilla Thurlow. Can we just put her into Google and just just tell me? She did bomb disposal. Really? Oh. Bomb, oh, right. right. That's what, that's what her claim to fame... How tragic for her, honestly. Her parents must be... Where, where does she come from? Has she come from a, a rich part of the country? Or she's one of these sort of... Uh, here we go. It's a, yeah. She's got a history... Wait a minute. She's a British contestant. 27 at the time of Love Island. She described her job as being in the field of explosive ordnance disposable. Wait a minute. She's worked... Yeah, but there's no evidence of that, is there? She's worked for the charity, the Halo Trust. Uh... Uh, famous because Diana visited it, like she visited the toilet or something like that. So there. Was she famous before she appeared? When asked what her claim to fame is, Camilla played coy. I don't think it's my claim to fame, but my proudest achievement was playing lacrosse for Scotland in the Junior World Championship. She's 27! I mean, she's really no talent whatsoever. I'm competitive, but it channels this. I don't believe she did bomb disposal either. Did she? Didn't she have a fling with Prince Harry? She was linked to him in 2014 when it was reported she locked lips with him. And uh, they were both at a nightclub uh, shortly after he'd split from Cressida Bonet. So he so he kissed somebody in a nightclub. There you go. That's, that's a relationship in this day and age. But um, uh, Camilla decided to take the plunge in her search for love on Love Island after four years of being single. No surprise there, dear. No surprise there. So that is your claim to fame. Did she go out with him? We don't think so. We don't think so. We think that uh, he just had a kiss with her in a nightclub because he probably had a few uh, a few sherbets, and and that was it. So out of that, she now builds a relationship. It's just pants. It's just pants, ladies and gentlemen. I don't believe... If, if you said... Excuse me, have you heard of Camilla Thurlow? And he went, no. You kissed her in a nightclub, sir. Sloane Square. Did I? Yes. No. <laughs> you know, that's it. She thinks she's had a relationship, poor deluded soul. You know, and now she's got to pretend she was in bomb-disposable... Bomb disposal? Bomb disposal. And, uh, as I say, I never believe a word of it. I'm such a cynic. Such a cynic. Unless you can prove to me. And he's never mentioned her before. Do you think if all of Harry's girlfriends turned up or all the girls who claimed they'd had a fling, if they all turned up at the wedding, which I don't believe is going to be happening any time soon, do you think that'd be interesting? No. They just make it up, and so it comes into it. When you actually read between the lines on that, there's no relationship, never was a relationship, and basically she's done nothing. Done nothing at all until she t- she's four years single. That's quite apparent by some of her antics on Love Island. Really, I'd love to find out what sort of family she comes from. Uh, I'm fronting blind date for our Scylla, Says uh, wonderful Paul O'Grady, which is uh, which is great, and uh, so he's done it very. Well. I'm just having a quick look actually, because she did surprise surprise as well. And uh, anyway, it's uh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. You know what he doesn't mention doesn't mention Melanie Sykes at all. This is Melanie Sykes who thinks she's the co-host of Blind Date. She's not. He's the host of Blind Date. Okay. So in this interview, no mention of Melanie Sykes at all, which I always think is very, uh, very telling, isn't it? Don't mess with Paul O'Grady, let me tell you. He's way too clever for that. Uh, the Crocodile Bag, it's uh, a first handbags only sale today. Ladies, if you haven't got one of these, you might as well just give up now. Uh, And this is a second-hand Hermes Birkin handbag, sold for 125000 at auction yesterday, auctioned at Christie's, uh, the highest price ever paid. Uh, The £293,000 world record uh, was set at an auction in Hong Kong. Good Lord. The bag is the favourite of celebrities, including Victoria Beckham. God, how naff. That's the last thing you'd want, isn't it? It's like that advert with Maureen Lipman, so-and-so, and an ology. Oh, she's got an ology. I don't want that. Once she found out who actually had one. You know, if they say, oh, Victoria Beckham favours this bag. I think not. I think not. Uh, May's Mia Culper. This is the I this morning, front page. I got us into this mess. I'm going to get us out of it. She tells Shell Shop Tory MPs they really shell-shocked i don't know i don't know what the image of shell-shocked is but it sure as hell ain't that uh also tories and labor hold secret talks on soft brexit i love the way that they've got a lovely picture of boris looking at uh, Theresa may thinking i'd look good sitting where she's sitting i don't know why i just sort of feel that delay to the queen's speech is enough to get the royal goat because the queen must be going can we just not get on with this please as opposed to, we've never had this sort of mess before. Let's sort it out, shall we? Quick as poss. Times on the front page. Are you ready for a man hug? Lots of men do men. I do men hugs. I do men hugs. It's quite, uh, quite normal. I've got friends in the business and we do men hugs. If I haven't seen somebody for a... I don't produce all the time. Constant men hugs. Literally, you can't quite get your hands all the way around his body, but at least I have a go at it. At least I have a try. Just have a try, you know. Austerity is over, May tells the Tories. I think she's looking older after the last few days. Somebody just said something. (laughs) I'll talk back. Uh, Tech giants that promote extremism face new fines and the RSPCA in turmoil. Since when were they not? Uh, The new chief executive has walked out. Apparently, membership has fallen below 20,000 for the first time. I'm I'm slightly dubious about the RSPC. I remember them prosecuting somebody in court years ago, a woman who left goldfish in a bowl when she went on holiday. I can understand some things, you know, puppy farming and all that kind of stuff, but goldfish in a bowl, really? Are they coming from the right area? But anyway, membership's falling off. Falling off when the chief exec walks out. Uh, Front page on the Financial Times, stop wasting or risk an EU exit without deal, Barnier warns, and the Russian police cracking down on protesters. You wouldn't want to live in Russia, would you? I mean, really, the crackdown there, I tell you, everybody's sort of uh, attacked. It's ridiculous. Charlie Gerling, who heads our entertainment department, says, why don't I get hugs from you? You know why you don't get hugs from me. (laughs) I'm tempted to be very rude and say, with a chest that size, I can't get within a mile of you. But I wouldn't say things like that, Charlie. It's not me at all. I don't say things like that. Uh, Yes, Jordan does. Uh, The Guardian. Suspended top canoeing coach faces abuse claims and the PM buys time with apology to backbench Tories. It's going to run that one, isn't it? It's going to run and run, as they say. Listen, have a great day. Apparently the weather's going to be nice. Politics may be not so nice, but the weather at least is going to be something you can smile about. And tomorrow, up to 80 degrees. I can't bear it. I should bring in my own ice cubes. I'm back with you tomorrow morning at four. Free podcasts for you up on the uh, up on the site, as per usual. But you need that app. You get it from the LBC website. It's a free LBC app for your mobile or tablet. It means you never miss a moment. Leading Britain's conversation at ten, it's James O'Brien. Coming up next, though, with
0: breakfast, it's Nick Ferrari.